Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. And welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey. And my name is Scott Gardner. And we are here once again to talk about the first, the best, I was about to do a Ghostbusters reference, the only, uh, but they're not the only super team, so <laughs> that would have been kind of silly. <laughs> but to our minds, the, the best super team ever. Uh, the JSA, and before we get into the book this week, because we've got, you know, I'm really excited for the next two ep- episodes because we've got a really good storyline through these two issues. At least in my mind, you could, pro- you, you might hate it for all I know. No, I, 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 I agree with you. But uh, you know, and with the uh, with the huntress coming into, and I don't feel like that's spoiling ahead because she's right there on the cover. So <laughs> again, uh, with her little head there, you know what? I'm going to take a second. Uh, looking at this cover to issue 70 and seeing the heads of the characters in the little roll call, mm-hmm. it makes me uh, nostalgic for the days that I used to do where I would do everything on the computer theme, including the icons. And these would make awesome icons for the computer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely uh, right. But uh, I don't do that anymore. I, I have my wallpaper, and that's it. In fact, the only icon on my on my screen at all is the uh the recycle bin <laughs> i just i was like i don't need these things plus you know looking at all the comic book art i awesome. thought you were going to comment on the fact that you know once again she's she's very prominently featured on the cover it, but at least yeah. she does actually appear in this issue whereas last issue you know introducing the huntress and it never really introduced the Huntress at all. And then in this one, you know, she's you know, front and center on the cover and, and making a big deal about her. But you're like nine-tenths done with the issue before she even shows up. It's like, <laughs> okay, guys, come on. All righty, we're going to jump right into the emails this time out. The, uh, and, and, and we've actually got kind of a theme going with the, uh, the first four or so emails that we have. We're... Uh, uh, quite inadvertently, we apparently have created something of a controversy with our with our talk of geek elitism and our opinions on certain things, like uh, people who read manga and the young whippersnappers. And a lot of people wrote in on this, so yes. uh, we we figured we'd lump all of these together, just kind of get those emails out of the way, and then and then get into the other ones because, you know, frankly, it's kind of fun that we're producing this kind of feedback. So, but the first one is from Trent Thornton and his is actually, his email is titled geek elitism. And he says, Michael and Scott, you guys mentioned geeks being more out of the closet, quote unquote, now to borrow a phrase than they were during your respective childhoods. And that they had, they therefore had an easier time of it as a result. At 29, I'm a whopping four or five years younger than Michael, but the age gap between us is big enough, I think, to make a few points which I believe to be valid. 
That's kind of sad. He's actually the same age as my wife. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that age gap is that much. But then again, I was 23 and she was 18 when we started dating. So but she was out of high school. She was out of high school because I didn't want to be that scumbag rolling up on the high school to pick up my girlfriend. You know, that would have been bad. Anyways, getting back to the email. While it is true that I've not had quite the same experiences of, of abuse and torment that you guys seem to have suffered, the primary reason for that is, insensitive though the comparison may be, something akin to battered wife syndrome. I was fairly mercilessly harassed about my comic comics fixations up until about the fourth grade or so. I've been relatively open about my geekdom up to that point because I sincerely believed that everybody was into a lot of the same stuff and in a lot of the same ways. Didn't make sense to me that someone might be only a casual fan, even of, of if even that, of, say, the Superman films. However, after many years of getting pushed around, even in the period when it was standard operating procedure for children to watch the Ninja Turtles and the new Batman movies, apparently collecting comics crossed some invisible line of which I was not aware. I finally just went underground. Life's too short to deal with constant digs and insults over a hobby. I for damn sure wasn't giving up my comics just to make my life easier, but I figured I could go about it and not wear it on my sleeve, as Michael seemed to literally do with a Superman armband. Keep in mind, this was all done in the shadow of the Flash TV show, the Burton Batman movies, a few animated superhero shows, a couple of Trek shows starting up, and so forth. Comics adaptations and generally geeky things were not as ubiquitous as they are now, but they were still relatively prolific and were more of a part of everyone's comic background than I suspect that may have been for Michael and almost certainly for Scott, no offense to Scott, that wasn't an age dig. Popular popular though those properties may have been, they did nothing to give me cred among my peers. Even as a kid, I was aware of the peculiar double standard that indicated that wearing a Superman shirt was a politically incorrect thing to do, but wearing an NFL or whatever sport shirt was somehow more acceptable. You can take the parallels as far as you like. The Star Trek TNG juror as a weirdo, I get to say that because ultimately I'm not much different from her. But somehow the guy who paints his entire body blue to cheer on his favorite football team is just a big fan. Call me crazy, but I'd say they're cut from the same cloth. Amen. They're both avid fans of something, and they're not hurting anyone in their hobbies and passions to the to the nine. Can I stop you right there? Sure. I agree with what he says, but you know what? Outside of us, no one does because that's yeah. the difference. You know, in the documentary where that whole story was told, I believe it's the Trekkies movie. If I yeah, it was right. the first Trekkies one. Make it sound like. Actually, she is hurting somebody. She's hurting herself because she lives in this little fantasy world where she can't deal with reality. So she has to pretend to be the commander and dress up in her little starcher. And I call fucking bullshit on all of that because mm-hmm. she's not any different than the than the guy, the sports fan. Now, I have literally seen this. Having grown up in the north, in New York, you know, in upstate New York, I literally used to remember seeing things on the news in the dead of winter. You know, where somebody would go to a Buffalo Bills game, paint their body, be practically fucking naked, and sit out screaming, Ah, go Buffalo Bills, you know? And it's like 20 fucking below. And it's like, all right, where is the difference between that nut job and the Star Trek girl? There's really not a difference because they're both, they've, 
sort of crossed the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, they're not really hurting anybody, but you'll find that guy more accepted among so-called normal people than that girl. And I, I call absolute bullshit on that. No, so do I. I was watching because I, I watch a crap load of A&E and History Channel and TLC and stuff like that. And there was a – it was an hour-long special on obsession mm-hmm. of people taking things too far. And they covered a woman that was basically having plastic surgery to make herself look like Barbie. But the final segment – I forget what the second segment was. But the final – no, it was that uh, – it was about somebody who – uh, was a man and became a woman. But the final segment, and, and I found this kind of insulting in general, was on Star Trek, the Star Trek fan. And how it just completely, you know, encapsulated his life. It eventually ended his marriage, though he still has a good relationship with his kids. And they showed him going to conventions and stuff and showed all of his autographs and everything. And... <laughs> I thought they had a psychologist on there or psychiatrist. Uh, I don't know if he can deal out medicine or not, but he, 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 he pretty much summed it up in two sentences. He goes, you know what? If you name your dog Kirk and Spock, you're doing okay. If you name your kids Kirk and Spock, <laughs> you might have a problem. And I'm like, that is the line right there. <laughs> you know? But uh, I, I, I thought it was great. I was like, that guy, that guy knows what the hell he's talking about. But the thing is, is that even within our own fandom, there are people that are just kind of lost right, in what they're doing. But I, th- I don't know if I've talked about this before on the show, but I have the, the grand unified geek theory. Where if you take a Star Trek fan, a Star Wars fan, somebody who's into comic books, somebody who's into Lord of the Rings, somebody who's in the Renaissance festivals, and then also bring in a football fan, a NASCAR fan, and all of that. If you boiled them down and created a series of questions based on generalizations, mm-hmm. like not talking what got you know, what was your first Star Wars thing, but just basically asking questions about their background and such, I bet you anything you'd have a commonality on that group on a sociological scale where they would all have something in common that drew them to be into more than usual what they're into. So, but yeah, I, I, I call bullshit on that too. You know, you know, the fat guy that, you know, cause I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I watched the Eagles and there would always be a fat guy painting himself green and, and gold and, you know, just like, you know, shouting to the hills and, you know, I always remember seeing that. My dad would go, "What an idiot!" <laughs> <laughs> See, I, no, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta say, my, I was thinking about what you said, and I, I think I see where you're going. But I, you know, I'm with you when you when you were saying, you know, the the Star Wars guy, the Star Trek guy, the Renaissance Fair guy, you know, the comic guy. But then when you throw in, I think you said football and NASCAR. I'd have to disagree right there because I think those are different because. I suspect a lot of times with with that fandom, I think that's got more to do with uh, – now, I'm guessing and I'm generalizing. So, you know, people have to realize yeah. I am extremely an outsider in those worlds. So and this, this, this is my best guess. And, and just to kind of put a little 
disclaimer out there. This is a generalization. We realize that there are exceptions to everything right. we're about to say. So right. just take it in well, that Well, I mean, I'm not going to say anything rude like, oh, no, all no, the no, NASCAR but... guys are fucking retards. No, I'm, it's not anything like that. I'm just saying that – well, let's leave NASCAR out of it. Say, say football. Is the perfect one. I think a lot of that is dads pushing the kids into it. I really do. I, oh no, no son of mine's gonna be a faggot and not play football. That you know that kind of bullshit. You know, I really think that that's a lot of what gets, at least where the way I see it, where I you know where I've been exposed to it, and the way that that it's been presented in you know in my life. And I almost feel sorry for those people in a certain kind of way because that's indoctrination to a certain yeah. degree. And I don't even know that they realize it because then they turn around and they do the same shit to their own kids. I've seen it and seen it and seen it. And, and, and you know, and, I'm sorry. And carrying that generalization further, I see your point because it could be because football and especially where we live, uh, though in Pennsylvania it was just as popular, NASCAR is so omnipresent. Right, that it's just there. That it's not something you discover in your your uncle's attic. You know, you find his stash of. Well, I was about to say Playboys, but that was my uncle. Um, <laughs> the one but, that touched uh, you? We, no, not the one that touched me. Okay, oh, he was, was a completely different uncle. So, okay. uh, but um, but when you find like you know that 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 uh, that stash of comic books or. You know, you sit down with with a family friend and you get in, you watch that first episode of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. There isn't that sense of discovery as, you know, when you walk into every freaking convenience store in this area and there's at least something to do with NASCAR right. hanging up. So, Well, you know, I don't remember a time in my life ever, you know, when I was tossing a baseball or a football or – you know, passing around the puck or whatever, where an uncle or a grandfather or somebody would come to me and go, you need to grow the hell up and put that shit away. Yeah. You know, whereas <laughs> I got that constantly after about the age of, say, 12 years old with, with comic stuff, you know, geek stuff. My grandfather it drove him fucking crazy that I liked, you know, the things that I liked. I mean, I loved the man dearly and I know he loved me, but he gave me a lot of shit about it. You know, that, that he called it uh, uh, fancy things. You know, when are you going to put your fancy things away? And I think what he meant was fantasy, but that, I don't know, I guess it's just an old person thing. They call it, because I heard that in, uh, what the hell is that movie? Puff the Magic Dragon. Have you ever seen that animated movie? Yeah. Or, and they say that at the end of that. You know, where's your fancy stuff? And I, it always threw me. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? Fancy stuff. But they mean fantasy. Pot. And I don't get it. But anyway. They mean pot. <laughs> yeah, where's your stash of weed at? <laughs> Let's go smoke some. But yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. Where, Tales where... from the JSA does not support <laughs> or condone the the smoking of marijuana. <laughs> now I feel like we're getting into weird, weird yeah. tangenty territory. I'll get back. To, I'll get back to the email. Then. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh um, man, what? Well, uh, why should one be ostracized while the others celebrated, even though they're doing essentially the same things? Right. I've never liked calling anyone quote unquote fake a, because I'm not a drama obsessed 14 year old girl <laughs> and B that sentiment usually has no merit to it. But Wait, when it's com- not a 14 year old girl, why are we even talking to this person? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
I am separating myself from you <laughs> so fast. It's not even... <laughs> really, Scott? Man, God. You know, oh, I know we're supposed teasing. to record two episodes tonight, but uh, I've got to go. Uh, <laughs> oh, look at the time. <laughs> but when it comes to so-called geek chic today, I call, I've got to call foul. Mm-hmm. For all the movies, cartoons, and whatnot the comics seem to spawn, those things sure don't seem to translate to comic sales. It's safe to say that Warner Brothers slash DC makes more money from Superman merchandise than Superman comics. Put another way, mass audiences will see the movies and buy the shirts but never read the comics. The same unwashed, drooling, glassy-eyed, knuckle-dragging, mouth-breaming troglodytes that made my life hell or the descendants thereof are now wearing the same shirts and watching the same movies that would have made me an absolute fucking social pariah were I dumb enough to cop to them in public, and that pisses me off. I vividly remember. I think you said the same sort of thing. And when yep. we discuss this, and I, and I absolutely agree uh, that these fucktards. <laughs> I love that word. Yeah, that's a great word. Uh, aren't reading the comics, which spawn said merchandise and adaptations is only gasoline on the fire. I could maybe, maybe live with it if those pricks opened the comics and were able to understand why I have the interest that I do. But that's not happening. They buy the merchandise, see the movies, pick up the DVDs, and even get the fucking tattoos in some cases. But the comics themselves languish in relative obscurity. And those pricks have the nerve to tell me that they're fans. No, they're not. They're fakes. They're not genuine fans. Should we geeks tear each other apart? I say no. In some sense, we're all sort of, we're all of a sort, no matter whether we did comics, Harry Potter, Trek, or whatever else. But the, forgive me, I hate this word, posers deserve all the abusive and invective that can be brought to bear. I don't want to see some asshole wearing a J.J. Abrams Star Trek shirt when he couldn't name five non-Leonard Nimoy cast members from any Star Trek TV show there's ever been. I'm no hardcover that. I'm no hardcore Trek fan by any means, but I have a conversation about the property beyond a movie co-starring the guy from Heroes. That's great. I love that. <laughs> I, 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 wow. Here's the guy the... from Heroes. That's, that's fucking beautiful, right? That there. is beautiful. <laughs> I, I loved this letter. I read this one several times just going, wow, you know, he really, he really nailed a lot of things here. But here, here's one thing that I have to say, and this is not, in any way refuting what he said or in defense of the people he's talking about or anything, but it's just a point of, of a, a point to think about could part of the problem, because I, I, I took exception slightly to one thing he said, where the hell was it here? Um, about the fact that the comic movies uh, right here. For all the movies, cartoons, and whatnot that the comics seem to spawn, those things don't seem to translate to comic sales. I'll agree with that. However, here's my point, is that is that the fault of the people not discovering the comics, or is it the fault of the comics are not there to be discovered anymore? Because I, I look at my own example, and I know for a long time it was this way where something would come out, like in my case, Star Wars comes out, makes a big splash. There's a comic put out. It's got yeah. Star Wars right on the cover of it. The next thing you know, all the kids are into it. G.I. Joe was the same way. Transformers was the same way. There were a lot of properties that were like that where you know, there was a comic book tie-in and the kids flocked to it because it was the hot new thing that was out and there was a comic. These days, 
you don't get that. I, I agree with you that people are not flocking to the comics because of movies like Iron Man and the Hulk, and that sucks, and that's a shame. However, what's the difference in the world today? They're not fucking there. You know, when I was a kid, you, you couldn't swing a dead cat and not knock over a comic rack. And the comics just aren't there anymore. You've got to go to some creepy fucking hole-in-the-wall dive with some shithead that won't even say hi to you and make eye contact when you walk in the door to buy the comics. And people, normal straight people, don't want to fucking do that. They're freaked out by comic shops. To them, it might as well be a fucking head shop, you know? They're not going <laughs> to walk in there, you know? Yeah, and... and, uh, and... And to add to that, there are comics out there, but they're trade paperbacks. Mm -hmm. Because every time a comic book movie comes out, you go to Barnes & Noble, or you go to Books A Million, or you go to uh, Borders. And you know when the Iron Man movie's coming out, Marvel will release a flurry of hardcovers and essentials and trade paperback collections. And Borders will put up a nice little you know, display of all the Iron Man books that they have. And that might translate into some trade sales. But it's not going to translate to the day-to-day, -day, even though comic companies do their best to try and have something there. When the Iron Man movie came out, right. there was a brand new number one Invincible Iron Man comic book. Right which would give somebody who just wanted to give the character a shot going, wow, it's a number one. I can be in on the ground floor of this. Right. They didn't do the same thing for the Hulk, but that's another story entirely. Right. Or did they? Was that when the, uh, the Jeff Loeb book came out or was it like the uh, year before that? I want to say that was well before, but I honestly, I couldn't be completely <laughs> accurate on that. Yeah. But uh, in any case, yeah, they're not there. There is tie-in materials, but it's not, like you said, readily available. Right. So th that is, you know, again, you know, if you, if you look at the problems of comic books, uh, I'm trying to remember what the quote from Mark Wade, it's price point, distribution, and content. And you can fix two of those, but you cannot fix all three. Right. And he's right. You know, comics aren't 75 cents anymore. Right. God, I wish they were. I'd be probably buying a bunch of comics I hated yep. just because they're 75 Me too. cents. <laughs> Me too. I so, miss those days. I miss the days when you could afford to buy stuff that you knew damn well was probably going to be shit. But you bought it. You know, you bought it on the off chance, eh, maybe this issue won't be complete shit. Or, you know, you, you wanted to, you know, continue your run. You know, you. I mean, God, I, I couldn't tell you the number of like really shit one-off issues of like say Batman there were. Yeah. But I bought it. I bought it because I didn't want a hole in my collection. These days, you give me three in a row, I'm I'm done with that title. I don't care how many years I've been collecting it, and that sucks. That really sucks. It's sad that you you know because of the finances involved, you you can't afford to be a faithful fan and stick with them through the tough times anymore. And when you had those shit comics, they sat in your collection for decades, and you can always point to them when you were talking to your fellow comics fans. It's like, yeah, did you read those? God, I bought those. Those were shit. They're sitting over there right now. <laughs> so to finish off, his, uh, to finish off uh, Trent's email, the worst part of all this is that the mass audience are single-handedly, although indirectly, keeping the comics industry alive. Hollywood's fixation on superhero movies is how many titles that, by numbers, deserve cancellation, stay in print each month, in the hopes that licensing opportunities could come forth. 
But when Hollywood inevitably loses interest in superheroes, I'm giving it another five years. I think we'll find out that that's me, by the way. Yeah, I was just going to say you need to add that in, that that wasn't part of this letter. Sorry, that's my theory. Uh, We are one major stinking turd of a superhero movie. And I'm not talking Daredevil. Or Ghost Rider, because who gives a shit about those characters in the general sense? I tell you what, don't forget that thought, because when we get to the end of this letter, I'm going to give you a much closer prediction than five years. I think we'll find out just how fucked the comics industry truly is. For right now, though, I get to put up with the same blowhard assholes that I spent all of junior high and high school hiding from, raving about Iron Man, the movie, of course, and wearing Green Lantern t-shirts, even though they couldn't name four Green Lanterns if the lives of their children depended on it. (laughs) Oh, joy. I apologize for the length, but Scott's remarks touched off a reaction. And don't apologize. That was great. Hey, 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 don't be calling me out either. I didn't do nothing. Yes, you did. But that's okay. I'm just just giving a shit. I have no recollection of that, Senator. (laughs) All right, here's my prediction. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. I hope to God I'm wrong. Actually, I will I will be more than happy if, say, a year or two down the road, somebody throws this in my face. I will be more than happy to eat crow in this situation. But here's my prediction: I think Captain America is going to stink like shit, and I mm-hmm. think that that might be the the beginning of the fucking end for superhero, you know, the blockbuster superhero movies. I just have a horrible feeling about this movie. I wish I didn't feel that way. But Joe Johnston's own words and shit attitude approaching this project have scared me to death. And then there was some other fucking nitwit that I was reading an interview with the other day who's attached to the Avengers movie saying absolutely insane things like, well, the Hulk's not going to be the bad guy in the Avengers movie because that's too obvious. What? What the fuck are you talking about? I, fuck obvious. That's what everybody wants to see. Since Iron Man and the Hulk were out in theaters, that's what everybody I've talked to that is anticipating the Avengers movie with bated breath, that's what they want to fucking see. So give the people what they want. To hell with obvious. I mean, yeah, no shit. is that not what we want? Come on. I mean, seriously, well, we want to see the Avengers team up like they did in Avengers number one and fight the fucking monster, you know? And at, at the end of the fucking movie, Tony Stark walks in... And talks to General Ross, mm-hmm. thinking, leading me to go, hey, you know, if he's mentioning Project Avenger in this movie, the Hulk's got to have something to do with it. Right. To not have the Hulk part of it now means that that was just the useless, throwaway, gratuitous walk on Nick Fury at the end of the, you know, at the end of the movie uh, stunt. And I think that would be I, – I, I would be pissed at that. That will be a, a colossal error because they have generated such buzz and they have generated such goodwill amongst fanboys, which – think about that for a minute. How hard of a fucking tightrope act is that to perform yeah, no to shit. where you've, you've not only worked up the general audience that doesn't know or give two shits about comic books to where they're just as excited as the hardcore fanboys are. I mean, I don't know a lot of hardcore fanboys that that aren't jazzed for the Avengers movie, that they feel like Marvel is doing the shit right. 
they're being faithful to the characters that these people have followed all their lives, and they're really, really worked up about it. Think about that. That fucking shit does not happen very often, as evidenced by all the people that are worked up over shit like Smallville and all these other shows that come out, and all they do is bastardize our favorite characters. You know, so if Marvel squanders that opportunity and they let Joe Johnston do his, well, I'm not really doing Captain America from the comics. I'm going to do my artistic vision. And he fucks up all that goodwill that's been generated. And then the Avengers movie comes out. And because some nitwit that sits in a, you know, that sits on some board of fucking directors somewhere says, well, the Hulk is too obvious as a, as a villain for this movie. We need to have him fight, you know, the green goober, you know. it's going to fucking collapse and it'll be a real shame. It it will destroy the comics industry in in a, in a real, in a very real sense. It will hurt comics. And in the state comics are in right now, it might be something they cannot recover from. Uh, And I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm that serious about it. I'm going to go that far. I know that that's a hell of a thing to say, but I really feel that way. I'm not one of these people with their head in the sand saying, oh, comics are fine. You know, comics are doing just great. You know, and look at all the titles that are out there. And, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm one of these people that is on the complete other end of the spectrum. This fucking hobby is on life support, people. And it only takes one colossal fuck up from some idiot in Hollywood. And it could be over for this hobby. I really feel that strongly about it. So, you know, let's be on our knees every night praying it's not going to be like that. I just uh, I just have one more thing to add to that before we get to uh, to Jesse Garrett's mm-hmm. uh, email is that we were doing pretty good there with comic book films mm-hmm. because we had directors that were saying things like I really like the comics I really like the concept of this character and that's what I want to do the moment you hear a director or a writer or a producer say. I don't want to make it comic booky, right? Or yeah, I'm I'm talking about Laura Schuler Donner from her interviews of the first X Men movie. Mm-hmm. Or you hear a director say, "Well, I've never really read the comics." Right. That's at the at that point, the studio should be like, "Okay, come on in, come here, come here, sit down." So, are you going to do the? Are you going to do Captain America? Or are you not going to do Captain America? Well, I want to do my version of Captain America. Okay, you've right. got two choices in this situation. You can do Captain America, you know, adapt it somehow, but from the comics, or you can go on and find another movie to direct. Exactly. Or- Amen, brother. I agree with you. Well, I mean, think about that. How fucking stupid is that? That's yeah. like it's like Ron Howard being being uh, hired to direct. Um, the the Da Vinci Code, and he reads the fucking back cover blurbs and goes, okay, well, I, I'm going to make Ron Howard's Da Vinci Code, and never even cracks the fucking book open. How does that shit work? And that's, but what, that's made... what they're telling us when when these directors say that shit about comic book movies. That's what they're telling us. They've looked at the cover, they see Superman standing there in his underpants, and they go, okay, I got this. I, I got this. I can do this. What? What? What the fuck are you talking about? You got to read it, and you got to do an adaptation of it. Well, and, and and it's what made me really nervous. I, for, uh, I it would probably fuck up the connection a little bit if I went and found this quote, but it was it was 
one of the main high muckety mucks of Warner Brothers talking about the slate of comic book movies that they're going to be doing because apparently somebody at Warner Brothers said, hey, these things are making money. Maybe we should put out a few. Um, <laughs> but uh, he he said something to the effect of, you know, well, you know, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have like you know a slate of directors that have really good artistic visions of these characters and are willing to take chances with story and cast. And I'm reading this and going, we are fucked <laughs> when it comes to DC movies because <laughs> anytime somebody says we're gonna take a chance with this, you get Catwoman mm-hmm. or you get the goddamn Steel movie, which I own on video, but. Still, that's what we get. Right. We get, we get Batman Returns. When you, some people would say you get Batman Begins in the Dark Knight too, but you know, that's somebody. That's a matter of taste. (laughs) (laughs) No, but 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 think about it. Think watching the behind the scenes on Batman Returns, uh, off the the two disc set that came out uh, a couple years ago. There was. Uh, an executive saying, you know, Tim Burton turned us down, but we said, well, why don't you make a Tim Burton Batman movie? Mm -hmm. And that's what we got. And that's why, hands down, it's the third worst film of that four film series. Batman Forever was better than Batman Returns. And the emails start pouring in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you said that. But we're going to move on with the emails because we just got off on a really good tangent. Absolutely. (laughs) But, hey, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there's at least a small contingent of the audience going, what the hell does this have to do with JSA? It's just it has to do with the fact that, you know, our our comments in that one episode just really inspired something in in a good in a good number of listeners to respond to that. And so uh, I think a healthy portion of this episode will be devoted to sort of. You know, addressing it, but also trying to move beyond it. You know, we we yeah. want to we want to address it, but then we want to kind of go forward and and do you know our regularly scheduled program as well. You know, I don't want to continue to to dwell on the subject if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I do. You're next. Oh, I've got this one. Yes, <laughs> there was that uncomfortable silence. Okay, um, this one is uh, titled "A Few Words from a Young." listener okay this one's from uh jesse garrett he writes hey guys i believe this may be my first email to this show but with all the podcasts i listen to it's hard to keep track i'm really digging the show and just like mike's uh other podcast from crisis to crisis it has got me interested in a new title oh cool i just got uh just got finished listening to episode 13 and wanted to offer a few thoughts this is scott I don't believe you should ever apologize for your opinions. People listen to the show because they value them. Well, I don't know about that. And I would personally get bored of a show that doesn't challenge my opinions and make me think. Otherwise, what show is he talking about? Otherwise, I would never expand uh, my mind or experience new things uh, in the in the non, non I think he means non in the non drug induced way that is. I really wish Chris Honeywell was here for that line. I'm sure he'd have some good comments to that. (laughs) As a young man of 24, I can say that uh, I still got shit from people growing up. 
I'm sure it wasn't as bad as uh, the past generations of comics fans. My high school career ended a little before superhero movies got big, so it wasn't as big a part of pop culture as it is now. No one really picked on me. I was uh, simply left alone and kind of avoided. Most people didn't have anything uh, to relate to me with. For the most part, it's easier now as comics are, quote, cool, and at any time a new superhero movie comes out, my friends rush to me to learn more. Well, that's cool. Although just a few days ago, a co-worker scoffed when I told him that I spent my Super Bowl Sunday reading comic books. Um, catch that co-worker in the parking lot late at night and just beat the shit out of him. That's what I do. And yes, the jocks in their faded Flash and Iron Man shirts irk me also. You know, we got a lot of response to that about yes, we non-geeks <laughs> wearing geek t-shirts. We got a hell of a lot of response to that. I think that really touches a nerve in people. It's not just us. It's awesome. Uh, he continues, I do believe we, as geeks, tend to be territorial. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy that, absolutely. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. I'm a big fan of the Godzilla films and find it humorous when a comic fan will poke fun at that. Uh, I also ramble on... Uh, with Thomas, oh, I'm sorry. I also rambled on with Thomas Mathis about Godzilla in the green room, green room for the hundredth episode of Views, and felt a little ashamed of it. <laughs> but we are all geeks, uh, and it is like comparing apples to oranges. By the way, how was the Atlanta Comic Convention? It was was awesome. great. We had a really fun time, and uh, there will be some audio of that uh, yes. along, I believe, here soon, so you guys will be able to hear a little Warning, bit. if you're a fan of the Duggars, uh, you may not want to listen to that episode of Back to the Bits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about our Duggar talk. Oh, that's okay. I, if anybody listens to my other shows, I'm pretty sure that they've got by now that I'm not a fan of the <laughs> freaking Duggars, man. Those people have to be stopped! They're fucking crazy! All right, anyway, uh, he continues, I had every intention of going. Oh, is Jesse, he must be a local boy then. Yeah, he. Uh, I met Jesse at last year's free comic book day. He came by because oh. I was doing a live recording that got lost, which really pissed me off. But Oh, man. He says, I had every intention of going, but was trapped at work for the dude. Just fucking call in, make up something. Oh, I'm dying, man. I got stomach cancer. I can't come in today. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, come on. Everybody else does it. All right, anyway. I would have liked to have grabbed some back issues and talked to you guys in person. Well, hell yeah, man. We would have liked to have met you. Um, he says, well, that's all uh, I have today, guys. Keep up the good work. Jesse Garrett, sent from his Verizon wireless BlackBerry. That's awesome. Uh, hey, you know, there'll be, there'll be future shows. Um, if you're on the mailing list... Um, with uh, Wes Tillander, then he should send you updates when the, uh, when the things are. If you're not, um, let us know and we'll, we'll figure out a way to get you in, in touch or something like that to where you can get the updates on those. But yeah, I mean, if, you know, uh, as long as, you know, we're not you know really hurting financially or something, you know, when these things come around, we, we plan to continue to go to future shows and hell, even if we are, you know, we'll just go for the meetups, you know, cause yeah, we, you know, bring 20, 30 bucks, get about, you know, 40, 50 comics in the 50 cent bins. I mean, that's, that's worth going for. It's it's worth going for to me just just to hang out with with friends, you know. Yeah. So my my intention is to really start spreading the word about these things well in advance, and really start organizing meetups because I'm finding that there really are, 
you know, a, a lot of people in, in our groups as far as, you know, fellow podcasters, listeners to, you know, this person or that person's podcast. You know, Atlanta is really huge for that sort of thing. And we're just now starting to piece it all together that, oh, you know that dude? Well, I know that dude, and let's get together. You know, so, yeah. future. I think future events like this are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as the word gets out, you know? And the yeah. next thing you know, it's like everybody who's anybody in, in podcasting or listening to podcasts in the Atlanta area will be hitting these things. So it'll be pretty exciting, I think. I thought next thing you know, old Jed was a millionaire. <laughs> That's just me, though. Hi, I'm Michael Bailey. I grew up on Dennis Miller. Welcome to my world. Uh, <laughs> now, it's always good to hear from Jesse. Jesse, you need to get back to your blog, dude. Seriously, I was I was digging it. I really was. But uh, Jesse's a good guy. I, I, I enjoyed meeting him uh, at Free Comic Book Day. He was, he was the only listener to come by that wasn't already in the group that hung out there. And we sat and talked for a good hour or so about stuff, and it was really funny. He he was he was kind of hesitant to tell us that he had some Clone Saga books, <laughs> and I was just like, "Dude, if you like whatever you like, it's cool, it's awesome. As long as it's not like furry comics, everything will be fine." But <laughs> I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a big fan of furries. Um, the next one is from Maximilian Hamill. What a great name! That's a Awesome name. God, it, it, it's what was that's, that character? That's a hands on your hips name, right there. Yeah, I am Maximilian <laughs> Hamill. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and what is your name, young man? My name is Maximilian Hamill. That's awesome. I love that. It says, dear Michael and Scott, I've been listening to Tales since the beginning, and it's great. Well, thank you very much. Actually, a JSA jail up team up. Uh, jail up. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> a jail up. That would be awesome. Actually, a JSA JLA team up was one of the first comic book stories I ever read. So this podcast is really fun for me. I found it through views from the long box, of which I am a longtime listener. So I'd be so I'd like to get to the meat of the email. In episode 13, you guys were talking about geek elitism and your experiences as a young geek, as well as the much better experiences of the youth, Scott Sum, ever since the semi-mainstreaming of comic book culture. Well, I am a 17-year-old suburban high school senior, and I just thought I'd weigh in. Basically, from the way I see it, the liking of comics as seen by the quote-unquote jocks is a thing that is neither accepted or stigmatized, but understood. A lot of people I know that are familiar with comic culture don't read comics, but see the movies, play the video games, etc. They don't buy the books, but enjoy the characters in stories in a more quote-unquote mainstream ways. Because of this, they can understand why I read them, and don't necessarily mark me as an outcast. Of course, it doesn't make me a saint either, and it certainly doesn't help my coolness level. There are a few people in the school who keep up with the current books, and they don't have the best of taste. What do you mean you aren't reading Superman? New Krypton rocks! <laughs> pity them. Just pity them. So as a high schooler of today, that's my perspective. Keep in mind, of course, that I'm going to one school in one part of the country, so I'm sure things are different elsewhere. Thanks for putting out the great podcast, and I just want you to know I sincerely appreciate all the time you are both donating to this and all of your other wonderful podcasts. Thanks, Maximilian Hamill. I liked that letter. That I was a good it. one. It makes me feel good, you know, because I, 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 I think the way at least I am interpreting it is that it's somewhat 
um, confirming what I speculated when we first brought this subject up that, you know, that these kids today aren't, aren't facing the same persecution or whatever. And, uh, I, I feel good about that. I really do. I, I don't want, you know, not only my kids, but any kids, you know, any geek kid growing up, I don't want them to face that persecution, you know? Although, you know, I jokingly gave them shit saying, oh, you know, you didn't earn it like we did back in our day, you know, but at the same rate, I wouldn't wish my childhood, you know, the, the, the shit that I put up with from, from assholes about, you know, my geek loves, I wouldn't wish that on a kid. That's fucking horrible, you know? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I wouldn't, no. Okay, next up we've got one from Steve Rogers. And uh, I believe that Mike may have some issues with this particular email, but uh, we'll go ahead and we'll have some fun at his, at his expense. Here we go. This one is entitled Thoughts on Your Fandom Discussions. Hey, Mike and Steve, continuing to go through the older episodes and wanted to hit up, uh, hit up your rantings on fandom and how certain elements have seeped into mainstream. Mike. Are you aware that Best Buy now offer or no refers rather to their customer service team as quote unquote the Geek Squad? Uh, yeah, especially <laughs> since I work down the hill from Best Buy, mm-hmm. and uh, now I've just got to throw in my two cents. I used to work for Best Buy. I used to be a, a, a customer service manager with them, and. You know, these things are easy to say, you know, in the in the in the heat of the moment, things like, oh, I wouldn't blah, 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 blah. But I can honestly tell you, I would not have kept working there had that gone into effect while I was still working there. I would have put in my resignation. I'd have been like, you know, I can't work in a fucking place that that would do that to somebody. You know, I those those commercials and those vans I see driving around with a geek squad thing. It drives me absolutely crazy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I realize people have to work and they have to put food on the table, but, you know, have a little respect for yourself because they are just, I think they're just humiliating those people. I, I mean, there's no finer way to put it, you know? Anyway, he continues, it's possible that the guy uh, that asked you about your, quote, geeks in Office Depot uh, just got the term from Best Buy and was using it in that vein. Not to me- Not to mention... I don't know where you get off calling someone an asshole because they use that term. <laughs> Do you want to get on uh, Blake PT? Blake PT. Who is this? He's uh, one of the hosts of Two in One Showcase. Oh, okay. For referring to various co-hosts on oh, okay on Two in One, uh, emergency backup geeks, or get on Shag and Crew for calling their podcast slash listserv. The Unique Geek or Shag's blog, uh, Once Upon a Geek. I'm going to stop right here. I, you know, here's the thing, Steve. Sometimes it's hard to tell someone's tone of voice or, or um, attitude when they're writing something in an, in an email or a PM or something like that. So I'm going to go on the assumption that, that you aren't really calling Mike out on this, but it kind of reads that way. But here's the diff. The difference is... I can call Mike a geek. Mike can say something like, you know, we're in the heat of the of the show and we're going right along. And he stops me to point out that, oh, by the way, you know, Batman also did this same sort of thing way back in Batman number 36. And I go, and go, dude, you are such a fucking geek. I can do that because I'm a fellow geek. We are both on the inside looking out. We are brothers in that aspect. So that's cool. That's fine. 
Joe Douchebag Jock walks into the room and go, you guys are a bunch of fucking geeks. That's completely fucking different. Completely different. And that's or, what this guy did that walked into Mike's store and said, I need one of your geeks to look at my computer or whatever the fuck it was he wanted looked at. Yeah. That's di- It's completely different. Anyway, I'll continue along. He says, uh, or Big Honk and Steve, uh, for his spiel on his podcast, uh, welcome to Geek Out Loud, the official podcast of geekoutloud.com, your safe place to geek out and have fun. See, again, right there, he's saying the safe place to geek out because – it carries a certain stigma, even today, to be a geek. Geeks get that. People on the outside don't. So that's why I do take offense to Best Buy and their geek squad. I think it's fucking insulting. Even though I qualify myself as a geek, I still think it's insulting. Anyway. Uh, and don't give me the, well, insert ethnic group, uh, ethnic group use insert derogatory ethnic slur all the time when they talk excuse uh last time i checked geek isn't uh going to get you in trouble with the fcc or advertisers if you say it on the radio uh or on on over the air oh okay i see what he's saying Uh, okay this is where i'm stepping in okay uh, and again, this is not to be insulting. I'm not. I'm not. You know, because at no point on on any of the shows that I do, do I want to sit there and and berate a listener for something that they have said. Steve has his opinions. I've known Steve for a while. Steve is more than welcome to his opinions because that's how life works. But here's the thing: the reason it's different was everything Scott mentioned. My problem with this particular part of the email is that basically what Steve has done is he's given an argument and then tried to cut off any argument that we could possibly give in retaliation. Here's the thing. Yeah. I know that the geek squad is called the geek squad. No, I'm not going to get onto Blake PT or shag or big honk and Steve about their use of the term geek. When some desiccated fucking redneck walks into my store looks at me snidely and says, I need one of your geeks. Yeah, I'm going to get a a little fucking pissed off. And yes, there is a difference between Joe Douchebag calling me a geek and Scott calling me a geek. Because that's how life works. I can give my sister shit all day long and twice on Sunday. You know, we can argue... We can just disagree on something and we can have like a full on blown, you know, you know, 16 seconds away from being on Jerry Springer blow up. (laughs) But the minute somebody comes in from the outside and starts giving her shit, I'm on that guy like, you know, well, fly on shit. You know, there is a difference. There has to be a difference because what you're basically suggesting here is that, well, if you call somebody a geek, everyone gets to call somebody a geek. Which means that if this person calls, you know, this African-American gentleman a racial expletive, then everyone should get to use it. And that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, is that it pisses me off that it is, it is still socially acceptable in this country, even now, for the general mainstream audience to look down on people like Scott and me and you and everybody else who is into comics or into computers or whatever, simply because we got a fucking brain in our head. And that's just that. that, Oh 
God. It's it, it comes back Mike, it comes back to the thing I've been preaching on two true freaks for a while. I don't know ultimately is it is it lack of self-respect? Is it that that we don't want to acknowledge we are a bunch of geeks? I don't know what it is. The perfect example I use on Two True Freaks is that fucking Big Bang show. Yeah. Now, there are geeks, hardcore fucking geeks that I know that love that show. If you are not incensed by that show, if that show doesn't completely get under your fucking skin... I'm sorry, there's something wrong with you if you really are a geek, because that show is fucking making fun of you. You know, if that show was doing to, to, to black people, you know, poking the same sort of humor and making... Oh my god, people would fucking march on him and burn the fucking place down. Yet they're doing this shit to us. And nobody's worked up about it. You know, it's like nobody seems to be all pissed off and, and really upset about it. You know, I don't get it. I don't get why we sit back and, and let these things happen. I, I think that what you were saying about, you know, you and your sister can give each other shit. But the moment someone from the outside steps in, you're right there to defend her. I think we as a geek society should have that defense mechanism. We should pull together and defend ourselves from these attacks on us. But I don't see it. No. You know, we're so focused on our, our petty fucking squabbles over, you know, stupid shit within this infighting that goes on inside. There's that. And then also, I think that there's a healthy amount of denial. I think a lot of us, I don't think we're comfortable flying the fleek the, the you know the fleek the freak flag you know what i mean it, it's yeah. it's i i don't even know what analogy to use but it's it's like you know pushed to the edge you you, you the, i think a lot of people back down they don't want to be associated in that group because of the stigma or whatever they're they're afraid to come out and defend themselves as a I was like that, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I was, I was right there. I was the guy that, you know, I, I didn't take my comics to work or, you know, sit in public places and read a trade paperback or a star Wars novel or anything like that, or wear my geeky shirts out of the house or whatever. I had gotten so tired of the sideways glances and, you know, in the, in the derogatory comments and, and having been picked on as a kid, I was sensitive to it, you know? I got I got tired of that shit. But at some point, you know, I just got to the realization that this is who I am, you know? And fuck people if they don't like it, you know? I'm I'm willing to defend myself and my interests in the and in the things that are important to me. I wish more geeks would would have that that su- sense of self-respect to where they were willing to to stick up for themselves and not take shit from people that think it's perfectly okay to give them shit. Just because they like comic books or Star Wars or whatever. It's bullshit. Fucking sports people, their sports fans don't put up with this fucking horse shit. Why do we? Well, I he gets don't into that get a little it. later. <laughs> <laughs> he actually does. It's okay, kind of I'll, I'll continue. I'll continue. He says, also, what does it matter if someone is wearing a superhero shirt or hat, even if they never read a comic book in their life, 
or if they only know the character from TV shows and films. I see people with caps and shirts related to sports teams, and I get, eh, just like the hat, when I try to kid about the team or college that the hat or shirt is representing. If I had a dime for every uh, for everyone in New York City wearing a Yankee cap that couldn't tell me Mickey Mantle from Mickey Mouse, I could probably get a mint condition Action Comics number one. Does it bother me seeing someone wearing a New York Mets, New York Giants, New York Knicks, or New York Rangers cap or shirt, and uh, and they aren't a fan of those teams or just care about uh, them when they are winning or whatnot? No, not really. If they are fans, I'd rather them be uh, fans in bad times as well as good, but I'm not going to begrudge someone who wears a Mets cap uh, because they like how it looks. I, I, dude, you're talking apples and oranges. It's it's two completely mm-hmm. different things. Plus, we live near Atlanta where uh, Fairweather fans are, are, are not just a – or a way of life, I guess uh, we should say. Because if, these, if an Atlanta team is losing, these people fucking hate them. <laughs> and if they're winning, it's all Atlanta, our team Atlanta, all the Braves, all the Falcons. So – he continues saying, I think you guys are taking the, uh, quote, uh, mainstreamness of geek culture a bit too personally. Are you goddamn right? Damn, I, I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> he says, okay, I get the whole social outcast aspect, but at the same time, as I said in my last email, shouldn't the fact that stereotypes and myths being broken and mainstream acceptance be considered a good thing? We're not being accepted. Right. That's the point. We're right. not. They're putting the shit out there, but that's not making it easier on anybody. Right. Exactly. So, sorry. I didn't mean it, to it goes you. back to the point uh, in the last letter about um, it, it's fair weather fakeness, you know, and as soon as the pendulum swings the other way, we're going to be right back to being fucking outcasts and pariahs again. You mark my words. Yeah, but but as as Brody once said, just because a guy reads comics doesn't mean he can't start some shit. Exactly. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, he continues. I know you two hate all forms of sports. That's not which true. isn't true. But put this away. Uh, but put put it this way. Ask any hardcore NHL hockey fan if they'd rather still be a niche sport or accepted in the what? Um. I you lost me there, dude. NHL hockey is in the mainstream. I grew up in the Great White North. I can tell you that. Uh, yeah, yeah, no shit. <laughs> I'll take the main. Now, let me stop for just a second. I feel like we're being really, really hard on Steve. Steve is a good guy. And yeah, he is. No, he's uh, not meaning to to. Um. Th- this this email was obviously written out of. You know, he's passionate about how he feels. Right. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate that. You know, not all not all discussions on this are going to be as heated, but this one kind of touched a nerve off of, I guess, everybody right. <laughs> involved. So. so please do not think that we're just singling Steve out. It's just oh. he wrote the email. So, right. You know, we're, we're, get, we're getting through these emails. So, you know. <laughs> Don't freaking hate us. I guess that's what we're trying to say. Well, he continues. He says, uh, they'll take the mainstream. Uh, They want to destroy all myths that people uh, like hockey just for the fighting. Um, 
I don't know that that's just a myth. And want the sport to be on the same level as the big three, MLB, the NFL, and the NBA. Oh, sure, they are number four, but uh, they are so far behind the big three that calling it the big four... uh, the big four North American sport is almost oh, – anyway, I'm going to skip down here a little bit. Hell, PGA Golf is uh, going to sell uh, the sport real hard this coming year after all the Tiger Woods controversy this past year. In an attempt to prove that Tiger wasn't the sole reason for the golf boom in recent years, can they do it? I don't know, but uh, I'd bet that golf fans are chomping at the bit to say, see, see, we told you it wasn't all Tiger mania. We are a popular sport. He, uh, he wraps it up by saying, I find it hard to believe that there are that many people in any kind of fandom that want their sport, their music genre, their movie genre, their TV genre to stay regulated to cult status. I mean, sure, there is something to be said about liking something before it blows up in terms of mainstream popularity. But at the same time, it comes off as self-loathing and uh, petty when you get all the fuck you in that Superman shirt uh, that doesn't know Perry White from Perry Cuomo or fuck you for just liking the J.J. Abrams version of Star Trek and not liking the classic Trek or fuck you for calling a tech support person a geek or whatever you want to say about a non-comic book slash sci-fi fan uh, says about your favorite whatever. Uh, Steve Rogers. Um, See, here's the thing is that at no, I, I don't think at any point we were coming off that, you know, the whole, I'm sure you, there's something to be said, something about liking something about before it blows up in terms of mainstream. That's not the point. It's not that I don't want it to be popular. Uh, you know, okay, well, that that's not quite true. There is a part of me that, that you know, this very small, very self-centered part of me that's like, no, let me keep my comics over here. Don't, don't, don't let the people in. But you know what? Go to your average comic book message board, Okay. And see the vitriol that comic fans spew at each other on a minute-by-minute basis. Now add the rest of the fucking world to that and see how far, how good that'll go for, you know, right. the industry and the... No, no, no. <laughs> the re- it's not so much that I don't want it to be mainstream. I just want it to be mainstream on equal terms. Not, you know, I... Basically, it's like this. If you're going to wear the shirt... Don't give me, for example, a sideways glance when I'm sitting there reading a Batman comic and you're wearing a Batman shirt and like geek. It's like, no, you know, if you're going to wear it, accept it. And you know what? There is something kind of insulting about being something into something and being passionate about something and then seeing it blow up in popularity and no one wanting to give a certain amount of respect to those that have been in it for years right and a good example of that is his example of fuck you for just liking the jj abrams version of star trek and not liking the classic trek it's not about them not liking the classic trek it's the whole kind of mentality that well that trek isn't good enough anymore we need a new trek you don't i cannot tell you i cannot tell you the number of posts and 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 not just posts. People have said it to me to my face. Oh, I'm so glad that Star Trek is cool now. And that is incredibly fucking insulting to me. Incredibly insulting. Because for one thing, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie wasn't all that. All right? <laughs> On the flip side, I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. I love Star Trek. 
And the thought that until J.J. Abrams got his grubby little hands on it, that somehow it was just, oh, for those weirdos, you know, what what the hell is that shit, you know? So, yeah, my, my bottom line in this whole letter, I, you know, love you, Steve. You know, I, you're a great guy. I enjoy you know, messaging back and forth with you and all, but you, you touched a lot of nerves here. Bottom line for me, if you want to chalk me up in the asshole category because I am one of these people that, that gets really pissed off with these fair weather fucking assholes that have just joined the crowd, then, you know, I'll gladly wear that label for you, you know? Me too. I, yeah. It was a good email. Don't get me wrong. Because anything that produces this kind of passion has to, has to be good, at least on an entertainment value. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not going to back down from anything I said. Because I didn't come at it from a purely okay, okay, I'll 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 take that back. I did come at it from a, an emotional level, but I sat there and thought about why I felt that way before I started going off. Plus, I hate old desiccated rednecks. I mean, Jesus Christ! There are men walking into my store on a daily basis that you know, as soon as they die, some. Some bootmaker or beltmaker comes along and skins them immediately and starts making new product. <laughs> Jesus. How long have you been smoking and sitting out in the sun? God. All right, moving into happier times. Da-da. Start playing like the, the Little House on the Prairie theme or the or the Waltons theme, which I always thought was a better theme anyways. Look, anyways. puppies! <laughs> uh, we got one from Jose titled Lucky 13. Loved the episode, guys. Considering this was a short issue, it did warm me up to Staten's art. Considering I'll be reading from the trade, it's nice. It's a nice way for me to ease into his art. About one it. I really didn't want to see the big deal other than it filled. <laughs> it was filled with a lot of sex, over-the-top violence, and a lot of cursing. It just screamed of Miller saying, hey, look what I can get away with in a comic, and it played the crowd of comic fans who just want to be cynical and tear things down rather than enjoy a good story. It bothers me to see these rock star writers like Miller, Frank Miller, and even Jim Lee on art who can do what they want, have delayed books, and do mediocre work that get all the alkylades while actual storytellers are left in obscurity. Amen. Mm-hmm. As for 50 cent bins, hell yes. I spent at one convention, I kid you not, about 30 to 60s just in the six, 50 cent bins. Uh, yeah, did that two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> that was the time I got a 95% complete run of both Justice League International and Justice League Europe. 50 cent bins make conventions worth going to, especially when they keep raising the entry fee like they do here in New York. I was pissed off to hear about the lady who grabbed Michael's arm when he went to see meet Phil Morris. A simple sir, we ask you that you buy a photo beforehand would have sufficed. But I have some horror stories about conventions myself. One involves Jim Aparo that I'd love to tell one day. Hmm. Did Jim Aparo touch you in the naughty place? Anyways. Uh, oh! <laughs> as for growing up geek, I was somewhere between you guys and Frankie. Around the early 90s, I got shit for reading comics, but right around when Batman the Animated Series, X-Men, and Spider-Man were taking off, suddenly it became cool to read comics, so a lot of my friends were drudging out their comics, and it became acceptable. It wasn't the most popular, but at least I wasn't alone. I remember, being a, I remember buying the hell did i just say i remember buying a dc blue ribbon digest on a trip to florida that a lot of my friends went nuts for and some of them even managed to scrounge up other blue ribbon digests their relatives had when they were kids and then came the speculator boom that made comics all right for everyone to have not comics brightest moment (laughs) 
The issue itself didn't hold much for me. I will say that Psycho Pirate is a very hit-and-miss character for me. By the way, Staten draws him in this issue, makes him extra creepy. So it made a decent story, just a little more enjoyable. Jose A. Rivera, P.S. Will you guys be covering James Robinson's The Golden Age? You want to talk about a good Adam story? I can't think of a perfect example. Uh, Eventually, yes, we will be... We will be uh, covering Golden Age. Yeah, that's down the road. Yeah, that's that's it's going to take a while to get there, but yes, yes. Pretty, I love that story. Pretty much, we we've decided to uh, to do pretty much what you're doing over on FCTC with Superman. That you know, starting with All Star Fifty Eight and moving forward, we're going to try to at least you know touch on everything that that we figure is relative to earth to the JLA or excuse me, the JSA and, uh, and all of that. So stay tuned. And lastly, we have a missive from our old buddy, Dion Cottrell. This one is just entitled T slash JSA number 13. He says, excellent email discussion this week. Uh, I'm glad so many folks are writing in and of course, glad to hear your thoughts on the, Oh, so many issues that popped up, popped up along the way. Uh, thanks, as always, for reading my comments along with everyone else's. Until next time, Dion, and he has his uh, list of points here. Number one, I understand your point regarding the JSA, JLA, slash Legion crossover. JLA's numbers uh, 148 and, one, excuse me, 147 and 148. And there's no harm in being selective. The question of Scott's quote-unquote hypocrisy aside, that two-parter is hardly the summit of comic storytelling. Oh, well, good. I'm glad he said, I was afraid he was going to say, I love that story, you asshole! Yeah, I was really waiting for that that email, you know? Because I'm always afraid now, you know, to, to call out a story because it's it's like I said a while back, and, and it was hilarious. Oh, my God, Mike, what what episode was that when that happened? We were talking about I was saying this very thing that, you know, I'm always afraid to, you know, to call out some comic because there's always somebody that's going to like something no matter how weird or shitty it might be. And you were like, yeah, like, like the butcher from DC. And I was like, I like the butcher. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my point. Exactly. You know, you, you, you say something like, oh, that was shit. You're invariably opening yourself up to at least one email from some poor hurt soul somewhere going, I like that book and you guys call it shit. You know, so the, the more obscure the book and the character, the more devoted the fans are to them. Yes, you're absolutely. I mean, it's, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like somebody should come up with a scientific equation for it. <laughs> he continues, even so. Whatever its flaws, the team-ups hold a special place for me because, if memory serves, it's the first of the JSA-JLA tales I actually bought and read. Uh, That it includes Paul Levitt's early take on the Legion only makes it more appealing to this uh, Legion of Superheroes fan. Oh, did Levitt's write? That yeah. cross. Oh, okay. I, I believe he I did. Not aware of that. Okay. It might have been a co-writing thing, but but he was involved. Okay. Because I understand uh, why that's not the case for lots of other folks, and don't see any reason to complain about you're skipping it. Here's the thing. Um, it's probably not going to be like super informative, in depth, you know, and no. you know, panel by panel analysis. But at some point, we are going to go back and address 
at least some of the crossovers. I, I, we haven't really decided where we're starting at yet in that, but in the break period between the end of what we're covering right now with, with All-Star Comics slash Adventure Comics and before the start of All-Star Squadron, we're going to have a string of episodes that are basically going to cover everything else, you know, that, yeah. that happens in this interim. So stand by for that. Um, and this story, this uh, one with the Legion, will be part of that uh, of that coverage. Um, he continues, point number two, the epic, uh, excuse me, the epilogue set on Earth One, uh, All Star Comics number sixty eight, page seventeen, seems a bit odd, but I suspect. Uh, it's in some marginal way a nod to the JSA JLA team up in JLA 147-148. While I enjoy seeing the Earth 2 characters interact with their Earth 1, Earth S, Earth X, etc. counterparts, I find it odd that most of that interaction happened outside the JSA's own stories. And I noticed that as as well. Uh, perhaps, Perhaps this idea was to raise their visibility by guesting them in other titles. But I don't recall much Earth-1 stuff showing up in the All-Star Squadron or Adventure Comics. And for that matter, Roy Thomas's 1980s work went uh, long stretches without Earth-1 references. That's that's a really good observation, and I hadn't thought yeah, of that. Yeah, it is. That, that's, that's a great observation, as a matter of fact. Yeah, he's absolutely right. Uh, point number three, I would recommend Star Hunters. Uh, the stories are swashbuckling science fiction, and the Don Newton and Bob Layton art is most definitely worth a peek. Oh, you just said the magic word with uh, Don Newton. I wasn't aware that he worked on that. I was a big Don Newton fan. Uh, Rich Buckler uh, would take over eventually. The issues are hardly pricey, so it's not difficult to justify the expense. Yeah, I see that stuff in back ish- you know, 50 cent bins all the time. Um, don't overlook the feature's debut in DC Superstars number 16, as uh, as well as the seven issues of the regular title. It's a solid example of DC's 1970s non-superhero output, and one of my favorites among those titles eventually canceled due to the implosion. Thank you, Dion. I appreciate that letter. Well, I think that's uh, good for. Uh, thank you, Dion, for for writing. We we always. Uh... Always like hearing from Dion. Always like hearing from everybody, really. Yes, we do. Um, alrighty, we are looking at tonight, or today, or this morning, or five years from now. Hello, future people. All Star Comics number seventy presents the legendary Justice Society of America. Got a really badass cover of the Huntress coming in, as it looks like the Star Spangled Kid and Wildcat are about to be shot by somebody. I guess they play. He plays some kind of intramural sport. I don't know quite what it is, but that uniform's really messed up. Anyways, uh, there is no roll call uh, except on the cover. It's not even a full one. But like Scott, I did one for you. So the roll call for this issue is Superman, Hawkman, Wildcat, Power Girl, Starman, Flash, Green Lantern. Robin, Bruce Wayne, Wonder Woman, Dr. Fate, Our Man, The Star-Spangled Kid, Dr. Midnight, and The Huntress. Though... And a partridge in a pear tree. God damn, that's everybody, isn't it? <laughs> though three-quarters of these people are gone by page four, so... Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the title of this story is A Parting of, way- of the Ways, but you know what? That's been like every fucking issue... <laughs> 
every three issue, these people are breaking up. It's just like some kind of really bad high school relationship. Anyways, uh, storytellers are Paul Levitz, Joe Staten, and Bob Layton. And the legendary Ben Oda is the letterer. Uh, Hawkman adjourns the meeting of the JSA. And once again, as I said, we get the older members of the JSA taking fucking forever to saying goodbye though you know what a mad mac daddy man bruce wayne is because he gets to to kiss power girl on the forehead and kind of pat her on the head and she doesn't fucking belt him one so he touched her ass too but you can't see that yeah but she liked it because well bruce wayne is i mean he just exudes testosterone i mean he (laughs) needs to get that looked at but i mean (laughs) shit i mean god who is the man no sorry (laughs) <laughs> I like the fact that uh, that when Wonder Woman leaves, and she really doesn't look any different from the Earth One Wonder Woman at all, does she? No. Uh, she says, "Hola, my friends," and I always kind of got a kick out of it uh, of her saying "Hola." Um, I don't know why it makes absolutely no sense. And uh, this is also once again proof that even a great artist like Joe Staten cannot make that fucking Hawkman mask look good at all. <laughs> Anyways, Alan Scott joins Jay Garrick at his lab to get started on his new career since Jay has given his deadbeat, I mean, his good friend a job. Power Girl, Wildcat, and the Star Spangled Kids sit around, and once again, someone, the kid this time, is complaining that there is nothing to do. Remember that the last time this happened, Vulcan came up tearing shit up. So, there (laughs) you go. And he's basically monitoring Gotham City and turns away from the monitor, turning it off, saying, ah, nothing going on as the Gotham National Bank is being robbed. So, yeah, not really observant there, are you, kid? Uh, <laughs> Power, Power Girl leaves in a huff after the kid suggests a game of Monopoly, leaving the guys to hang out all by themselves. At the bank, Strike Force, a new criminal gang, robs the bank with military precision and even manages to hold off the cops who are led by Inspector Jim Corrigan, who's just fucking sitting there and not turning into the Spectre. <laughs> Back at the Brownstone, the Star Spangled Kid and Wildcat play their seventh game of checkers before Wildcat gets fed up and leaves with the kid in tow. After they are gone, a mysterious figure breaks in and activates the monitor that the Star Spangled Kid had foolishly turned off. As the cops have little to no luck against the strike force, Ted and Sylvester hang out at a bar, and when Ted insults himself... Another patron, not realizing that it is Ted Grant, takes offense at someone knocking on the heavyweight champ, and a fight breaks out. During the melee, Sylvester sees a news report about the bank being robbed, and in short order, he grabs Ted, and the two are off to help the police in one really badass splash page. Mm -hmm. Soon, Wildcat and the kid are in the thick of it, and seem to have the upper hand until number one, who looks nothing like William Riker. I'm going to just say that right away. (laughs) Uh, He shocks the kid into unconsciousness, and Wildcat is just simply overpowered. The Strike Force escapes with the hero as their prisoners. Meanwhile, in Salem, Massachusetts, Dr. Fate gets home, only to find uh, Inza all freaked out because she couldn't leave the tower, and there is something dark and shadowy just sitting there. What does he say? God, it's it's a great line. By the crystal orb of Naboo! (laughs) Because... Because holy fucking shit just wouldn't hold up in a seven. That would be awesome, though. That would be my favorite issue ever. (laughs) 
<laughs> I would love that. Oh, no, no, no. Better yet, jumping Jesus on a pogo stick. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Fate, you may want to work on your, your, your exclamation. Why? I like that. Anyways, um, back in Gotham, at Gotham Stadium specifically, where the Strike Force has its headquarters, Wildcat and the Kid wake up and are soon joined by the Huntress, who is there to help them escape. Suddenly, Number One and his goons come into the room, and after mocking Wildcat suspicious, suspicious nature, he tells, I am three days away from vacation. Uh, after mocking Wildcat's suspicious nature, he tells the, the hero, uh, he tells them that the, since the heroes are conscious, he can't hold them hostage, so he'll just have to settle with killing them. And that's where the issue ends. And we have another really cool to-be-continued type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, next issue, the showdown with the Strike Force, which happens. The secret of the thing in the tower, which doesn't happen. And the origin of the Huntress, which kind of happens. Kind of, so, sort of happens, yeah. You know, you know, you know, you average these things out, it's actually kind of honest. <laughs> um, 60 cents... 66% true most of the time. <laughs> um, you start off with what you liked and disliked and all that about this. Okay, right off the bat, I've got a big old beef, and I'm just going to get it out of my system. All right. If I was, say, a security guard at the mall, right? Okay. And I've got a bank of monitors that it is my job that I'm being paid to monitor, and I just walk over and go, there ain't shit going on. And I turn it off and I go and have a game of checkers with my cohort. What do you think would probably happen? Well, if someone She's... broke into the mall, you get your, your, your ass would be shit canned in a hurry. Yeah. All right. This superhero's responsibility is a lot fucking bigger than mall security. Okay. They're in charge of like world security. They're yeah. in charge of keeping like, great big green gobbly monsters from coming and like destroying the planet. And the star spangled kid just walks over and literally says, eh, nothing going on. We've got the day off. And he turns off the monitor. I'm like, what yeah, the no hell? Sh- <laughs> well, oh. You know, it, it ties in what I was talking to as well is that every time these fuckers say there's nothing going on, Something really bad happens. Somebody (laughs) needs to tell him, dude, stop saying that. You know? (laughs) And I realize it's two different writers. And this is just because we're reading this in in fairly quick succession. I mean, it's only been a couple of months since we read the first, you know, the the first time this happened. And I'm sure if we were reading this in 75 and now when this book came, it's 77, it would be completely different. But – Okay, we're not really insulting the book, and this is what makes the podcast entertaining to do. So there you go. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I hope that that never comes across that way, that we're like ripping yeah. on these because they're terrible or something. No, we love this material. That's why we're covering it. So Yes. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just playfully poking fun. But no, what would have worked better, though, honestly, is if he had just said, eh, there ain't nothing going on. Hey, Wildcat, do you want to have a game of checkers? And they sit down and they have a, a game of checkers. And at some point, he looks up and says, holy fucking shit, Batman. You know, the, the bank's being robbed. And then they run out and they, you know, and they, it would have worked exactly the same way. But having him turn off, actually turn off the monitors is just, I don't know, it makes him seem 
kind of stupid. It makes him seem like a really inept superhero. And I like the Star-Spangled Kid. I don't want to see him portrayed as as that dumb that he would turn off the trouble alert, you know? Yeah. No, it's just... <laughs> No, but but having but, but but leading off with that, I think this was a great follow-up to the last story. Mhm. I mean, they, you know, Levitz did not drop the ball when he um, when he ended that huge story with the JSA fighting the JSA. Right. You know, he 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 broke in with a brand new villain team uh, that next week we'll discuss the connection it has to the JSA. And it's exciting. My only problem, like legitimate beef with with this issue is that we've got this great lineup at the beginning. I mean, everybody is on that splash page. Right. And yeah, it's on that splash page where Bruce is copying a feel with Power Girl, because she's got kind of a goofy smile, and so does he, and you can't see their hands at all. So, But anyways, we have all these great members, and then suddenly we're left with Star Spangled Kid and Wildcat. And Power Girl. And then, like, in five panels, Power Girl's fucking out of there to go have her origin in Showcase Comics. Right. Which we'll be discussing, people. At some point. Just not in the near future. Um, And then we're left with Star Spangled Kid and Wildcat and eventually the Huntress. And it's not that those are bad characters. It's just they're not my favorite members of the team. Right. So it's a good story, but I I wanted to see Jay Garrick. I wanted to see Alan Scott more. Than what we got. You you make an excellent point, and I can't help wonder. You know, playing uh, whatever. I was going to say, uh, what is that armchair quarterback or whatever? But I realized I was about to make a sports reference, and I was like, "What the hell is wrong with me?" But uh, you know, I mean this this book gets canceled in just a couple issues from now. What is it like number seventy four? I think. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder, does that exactly what you're saying does that possibly owe into that because i I think it had more to do with the implosion but i see see your point though but you know because i i i feel what you're saying because this sort of thing anytime this happens in any team book where you've got you go from having this massive team with all the best guys and then something happens and instead of one heavy hitter going, well, I've got more important shit to do. And he leaves to go off and address things that are happening in his own title. You've got suddenly it swings completely the other way. And you go from this massive team down to like the couple of people left that you're not all that really cool on. Anyway, your, your enthusiasm can wane. Yeah. And I've seen this happen over and over, especially like on Avengers. This happens on oh, Avengers God, yes. all the time. You know, they'll start out really strong at the beginning of a relaunch or something, and you've got all the best guys. And then by the time that the thing's really petering out and and everybody is, you know, abandoning the book like rats deserting a sinking ship, you're left with, like, D-Man and people like that. You're like, I don't care about these assholes, you know? So, yeah, I see what you're saying. But we're not quite there yet because at least in my case, I really dig the Star-Spangled Kid and... The Huntress. She is just. I love the way that uh, Staten draws her in this issue. She's just, and she's just a great character. I mean, besides the fact that she's just damn sexy, she's just a really good character. Wildcat, eh, 
I can tolerate Wildcat for a while. I like Wildcat as he is portrayed in the last, like, 15, 20 years. Right. By people like Bo Smith and Jeff Johns that really get the freaking character. Uh, it's not that <laughs> Paul Levitt's... Dion's, like, going, no! <laughs> but my other beef, legitimate beef, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll add that again, is as much as I like Joe Staten's art, what the fuck is up with his Ted Grant out of costume? <laughs> no, he's got like Jay Leno chin. Yeah, I mean he is. I mean, looking at that, is is that look like the same guy that's in the costume? No, and you know it's funny you say that because I looked at that too. I looked at like panels comparing him out of costume and in costume. I was like, yeah, that facial structure is completely different. But every male has that lantern jaw, and again, it's not insulting Joe Staten because. He is a very talented artist. That splash page with all of the JSA members is just freaking awesome. Again, he can't make that Hawkman mask look good, but no one could. Really. Where so. where was Joe Staten in his game at this point? Was this the beginning of his career, or had he been around? He was in the. It, I think he had probably been around in the independent books for a little while. Mm-hmm. But this is probably still relatively early okay. in his in his career. I think. Uh, I mean, if I was going to pick out one specific thing I didn't like is the S on super on the back of Superman's cape seems to be lopsided towards the camera. That looks kind of weird on that splash page. On the opening. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You're right. But you know, everyone else in that whole thing, uh, looks good. The man loves to draw women. Mm -hmm. That's pretty obvious. Wonder woman is very hippie. Uh, I can't tell if she has shaved her underarms, but um, and, she you know, comes from an island of of Amazon women, dude. She probably doesn't shave anything. <laughs> it's like a fucking topiary garden down there. Ah! <laughs> so I'll probably cut that one out. So <laughs> sorry. You there? Yeah. <laughs> but every male in this, every male that's really not in costume, I. Maybe I'm leaving that one in. That's too good. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but having said that, the design for Strike Force is kind of cool for the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a good villain team. I don't know if I if I think that the uh, based out of the baseball stadium is <laughs> is quite a really cool thing. But yeah, I, I, the team themselves are kind of neat. Uh, it's kind of funny now watching them go through their number two, do maneuver number 57. And they all do that because that's the kind of dialogue you had back then, but still taking it in the context and, and keeping in mind that the JSA doesn't have the strongest rogues gallery (laughs) at all. Um, well, speaking of that, what you just said, uh, about, and I see this a lot, not just in comic books, but, uh, Star Trek does this sort of thing all the time. They'll get into a fight with somebody, and it'll be, okay, execute maneuver beta 47 one time. Just please, dear God, one time I want to see one guy turn to the other and go, what the fuck is B-47? I don't remember. You, you remember what that? Yeah, <laughs> that never happens. But it Dude, never- I was hung over during that <laughs> meeting. <laughs> But uh, no, just uh, for me, bottom line, it uh, really good issue. Uh, a you know when I was reading it the fir- when I when I was reading it the first time, 
rereading it for the for the purposes of this episode, you know, I was just like, God, I remember not really liking it, but rereading it now, it's just like, wow, okay, I dig this. Not my favorite characters, and I don't like uh, Star Spangled Kid's emo hair, but <laughs> but I think but I think you know this, the the series is is still going strong. Oh, I love this. This to me is this is how comics. Well, I was going to say how comics should be. I mean, if they were still this way, then we'd be bitching because they hadn't matured and grown up. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of silliness to it. But th- this is classic comics to me. This this is just good, old-fashioned, fun comics. The way Mom used to make them, you know? But uh, I, I did have a couple more quick points here before yeah. we wrap this up. All right. I just got to say, the uh, on page 7, third panel... This is what playing any board game with my father results in. <laughs> where where Wildcat goes, fuck this stupid game anyway, and just slaps the, the checkers table and all the checkers off onto the floor because he's pissed because he lost six times in a row. Yep, that's pretty much any board game with Scott's dad right there. Um, also, what a hallmark moment. <laughs> when, when you were a kid, didn't you ever wonder... What does Santa do in the off season? I always wondered that. And this issue, I think, might possibly resolve that because is that not him in the polka dot shirt tending bar on page uh, number nine right there? Oh, my God. You're absolutely right. (laughs) He looks like he's got his pajamas on. What is with that shirt? Now, I know the 70s had some whacked out fashions, but... A polka dot shirt. Let me ask you about uh, the bottom of that page with the uh, the Earth Two version of um, of the Sandman taking a swing at uh, at Ted Grant. Look at the background. There's a guy wearing a Superman shirt, yeah. and, and there's two guys in glasses. Do you think they wandered into the wrong fucking bar? <laughs> and they're just now looking for the exit and to get out of there as quickly as humanly possible. I wonder if this is one of those examples of of Staten putting some of his buddies in the background or something. It like probably that. is. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that at all. But yeah, if you look at the next page, not only is he wearing that shirt, it looks no, he's wearing an apron. But yeah, that looks like Santa Claus. He does. You're absolutely right. Very good, sir. <laughs> And let's see. Oh, I had one more. Oh, I love this one. This is one of my favorites. Okay. You're right about the awesome, awesome splash page on page 11. This is where the uh, star-spangled kid grabs hold of Wildcat. They fly out of the bar, and star-spangled kid uses his cosmic converter belt to alter their clothes into their costumes, right? It's a really, really cool splash page. However, in the background... You can see their trench coats drifting back down to street level, and I'm thinking, that's creepy. Where are their wallets? Because they either <laughs> left them in their trench coats, or Star Spangled Kid just transmuted everything they were wearing into their costumes. So one way or the other, <laughs> they've lost their ID and their money and everything. Oh come on, Ted Grant's wallet contains. Three dollars in singles, 
a, 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 a gym membership from 1955 and a condom from 1946. I mean, <laughs> his wallet was no great loss. Yeah, but what about, like, driver's license, you know? Like, that man drives. Would you Would you want him behind the wheel? They, they've got a flying car. Somebody's got a, well, they let the blind guy drive it, so yeah, I guess, <laughs> yeah. all right. As we've said, yeah. the JSA is not really all that what I would call uh, selective and who gets to drive the fucking car. <laughs> it's Dr. Midnight's turn. This is a bad idea. Yeah, but it's his turn and he gets really pissed. Gets all sensitive. <laughs> oh, I can't drive because I can't see. I'm sick of his fucking whining. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, are we ready for some of these awesome oh, ads that are Yes, here? sir, I am more than ready. Uh this one's Skipping over the hostess one, oh, yeah. of course. Because, this one's uh, chock full of mm-hmm. some really, really good ads. Now, I got to say, at first glance at the BB gun ad across from page four, I thought that kid was shooting his television screen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just nervous about the concept of indoor BB gun fun. <laughs> yes. Let's take the projectile and put it in an enclosed space because that always works out well. <laughs> that'll, that'll work really, really well. You can really play billiards, air raid, BB baseball, shooting stars. I mean, that meeting must have been wonderful. How can we get kids to play with more BB guns more? How about we tell them to play indoors? That man deserves a promotion. Man, I'm telling you. <laughs> Satisfy your meat tooth again. <laughs> Always love the uh, Slim Jims. We get we get one of those get rich and famous uh, Clark Bar ads. Did you ever eat a Clark Bar? You know, I don't know that I I don't know that I ever did. No, do they even there. make those anymore? Yes, they do. You can go to most convenience stores yeah. and get a get a Clark Bar. They're I not know, bad. I know you could not pay me to eat the Clark Mint Bar. Ugh, I hate mint and chocolate together. Ugh, ugh. My wife. God, I love mint and chocolate together. Ugh. Now, Let me say it one more time. Black! <laughs> now, across from ta- page 10, I want you to be really honest with me about how many of these posters were on your wall. None of them, but oh my God, would I have spanked to a couple of these. I'm telling you. <laughs> <Starsky and> Hutch. <laughs> no, no, you you opened the so door. Much. I just fucking walked through that once. So. Oh, you suck. But I did, I did set myself. No, the Linda Carter one. Oh my God. It's even like in that shitty... You know, how they tried to put real photos into comics back in the days. It's all blurry and fuzzy and shit, but it's still awesome. Because she actually looks kind of naked because of the printing process, so that's awesome. Then you got poor Farrah Fawcett. I loved – well, they actually called her Farrah Fawcett Majors here, so she must have still been married to the uh, $6 million man at this point. But uh, she was a doll. But, you know, I I never found her – like attractive i just thought that she was like a really nice person as a kid but i guess uh, this must have been like i discovered her like prepubescence or something and it didn't carry over or some weird thing because i linda never carter did oh yeah linda carter most definitely but yeah somehow <laughs> farrah fawcett i just you know i just thought she was like that nice lady from tv i don't know it's really bizarre no, that poster was apparently on, like, most teenage boys' walls from, like, 1970-whatever to the early – excuse me, from the – from, like, in the late 70s. That was – that was the – it was kind of like when Lois and Clark first hit, 
and Terry Hatcher wrapped up in the Superman cape was one of the most downloaded images ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the most spanked to image, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, what's really wrong, though, and I'd love to get on the horn with the person responsible for such a horrible, horrible trickery, is, all right, you get all worked up and you get your boner on, but good, looking at this page. And then you flip it over, and the very next thing, <laughs> ah, this fucking dude with his junk hanging out on the next page is like, dude, put some fucking clothes on. I don't want to look at that shit. I always get nervous when people are this, are this d- disproportionately toned. Because his freaking chest is huge, but his arms and his stomach look like they haven't been properly inflated yet. <laughs> he looks like somebody photoshopped Michael Landon's head onto like <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. It's really, really all kinds of disturbing. Uh, getting away from the somewhat homoerotic art. Uh, <laughs> on the opposite page, we have the two all-new supersized specials. Now, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer one, nah. You know what would make this the most awesome ad page ever, though? Is All right, and you've got that great big thing where it says, two all-new supersized specials. And at the top, you've got Uncle Sam behind, you know, in the background of this one that shows Superman versus Wonder Woman, the battle you never thought you'd see. And then at the bottom, it's got Rudolph. It should be Superman versus Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, (laughs) the other battle you never thought you'd see. That would be all I would love. With, like, Superman flying towards him and Rudolph, like, kind of galloping in (laughs) midair. And, you know... Of course, that book is like two pages long and ends with Superman serving venison. Uh, but the, don't the forget magic reindeer now and Superman. What's he vulnerable to? Magic. I'm telling you, man, it's, it'd be a hell of a tussle because people thought that Superman versus Muhammad Ali would be a one punch thing, too. And Superman got his ass kicked, my friend. So don't count my buddy Rudolph. Superman out. grew up in the in, in, in a small town. He learned at a young age how to grab a deer's neck and snap it in like two seconds. That Rudolph's going down. Oh, we I want totally to have to that do, We have to have a versus episode of Superman <laughs> versus Rudolph with a full roundtable cast of podcasters <laughs> to vote on this. That would be totally <laughs> awesome. Uh, moving on, we have the yes, you can subscribe to your favorite DC comics with Superman holding showcase number ninety-seven. Mm-hmm which has the first part of the Power Girl origin that we will be discussing in a month or so. That's cool. Uh, good cover. I, I like that cover. But below that is the Amazing World of DC Comics number 16, mm-hmm. which covers the Golden Age. Yes, it does. Now, this threw me because I was looking at this picture going, wait a minute. That's not the cover. Yeah, yeah I think I have number six. So I went and I dug it out. I had never read it, but I've had it for years. And so I dug it out. Sure enough. It does not have that cover on it. It has an absolutely incredible wraparound cover by Walt Simonson. It is beautiful. And on the inside front cover, it gives you a key to tell you who all the people are because this is uh, the issue that celebrated the Golden Age. So a lot of these people, they rightfully assumed that a young child probably wouldn't know who most of them are. And uh, it's just, it's a great, great piece of art. I really love it. And uh, so I dug this out and uh, was actually just reading this right before the show tonight. And I got to be honest, I'm not real big 
on the Golden Age. You know, I, I respect it. I like a lot of the characters and all that, but I, I'm just not real big on it. So I kind of breezed through it, and there's interesting articles here and there, but I, I just kind of skimmed through. But what made this really awesome when I came across it is there is um, a several-page article called Aging the All-Stars by Paul Levitz, and it is completely relevant to what we're uh, covering and, and talking about right now with covering uh, All-Star Comics Revival. And it was a really cool article, and it was just – it was great to read. It was really informative you know, and gave you a lot of insight into Paul Levitt's mind at the time and, and his writing process and his thinking process and how he was approaching this, these characters. But – at the end of the article, I also got kind of a funk. You know, I, I got kind of a melancholy feeling because, you know, right at the beginning of the article, he's talking about how great it is to be able to be doing daring things with, with comic book characters and how it used to be taboo to age them and progress them and, and tell new and dynamic stories and, and basically get out of being stuck in the middle of the of the story like comics perpetually are and it just kind of made me kind of sad because i think we're right back to that sort of thing today you know yeah with the, you know we're right back to yep. uh that sort of staleness again i believe but the other thing that makes this well worth tracking down if you can is it has a centerfold in the middle and just like a playboy there's is it Linda a, Carter? There's a sexy, sexy woman in the middle. It's almost as good as Linda Carter. This is a Joe Staten and Bob Layton centerfold. It's black and white, of course, because the magazine was black and white. And it's um, Wonder Woman is strapped to a table by her, logic, her, yeah, her logic, magic lasso. And Adolf Hitler is holding a Luger to her head and about to pop one in her. When the JSA come busting through the wall, they're like knocking all these Nazis over, and it's really, really cool. And wow, his uh, his Wonder Woman looks fantastic. So, yeah, if you can uh, if you can track this one down, I'd say it's worth it just for that centerfold. That'd make a great poster. It'd, it'd really be cool as a poster. Wonder Woman, you're oh. a wonder. Um, you have the poster bonanza on the opposite of page 12, which has Farrah Fawcett again, John Travolta, Jamie, it says Jamie and Steve. Yeah, I had a note about that. Why are they calling them by their identities in the show? Why are they not calling them by their real... Lee Majors and and Lindsay Wagner. Though I I do want to see the fight between Farrah, John, and and Lindsay for who has the best feathered hair. (laughs) Uh, I think John Travolta wins. Yeah, John Travolta, hands down, yeah. And then you have Donnie and Marie. Um, Do you watch these Nutrisystem commercials with with Marie Osmond nowadays? No. She's she's in these Nutrisystem, and there's this one where she she interviews people. And she actually interviews somebody from uh, from Fayetteville, Georgia, in this commercial, Hmm. which I thought was interesting. And every once in a while, when she's talking to the woman, she'll look at the camera and smile, you know, like, talk show hosts do and i swear to fucking god with all the weight she's lost and the and the size of her hair and the fact that she's uh she's so fucking pale every time she does that she looks like a goddamn vampire <laughs> it's just it's like it's like every time she smiles at the camera here i mean <laughs> but uh oh it's creepy hot for for being her age though i mean i always thought marie was kind of cute 
Yeah. Uh, they don't show group the group B because this is all five posters for two dollars. These things are probably printed on the cheapest paper humanly possible. Yes, yes they but were. Group B, which is not featured, has Kiss, the Hardy Boys, Grizzly Adams, Christy <laughs> McNichol, and Beretta. What irresponsible parent lets their child hang Grizzly Adams in their bedroom to stare at at night before they fall asleep and have horrible, horrible nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> God, I mean, okay, okay, okay. Christy McNichol, who, who even into adulthood looked like a fourteen-year-old boy, uh, at least to me. You know, it's just like it's like here are the really good-looking people, and then we have the B group, which are kind of scary. You know, it's so weird that you say that because even as a young kid, I remember thinking that my friends that thought. Christy McNichol was just the hottest thing ever. I kind of wondered if maybe they were like closet gay. Because, yeah, she <laughs> did look like a boy. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm going to get letters. I'm sorry. I'm rude. Uh, um, we got big news. DC's dynamic new heroine, The Huntress, joins the Justice Society in this book. And then we have Shade is captured by the Supreme Decider. <laughs> uh, moving on. I have decided you are crap and I will not read you. Yeah, no shit. But the one before the, the final page of the story. Help your hero. Give it a home. No, this no, no. Is- you skipped. You skipped one of the coolest. At- well, coolest or most irresponsible. I'm not sure. The Hands of Steel. All right. This is, oh, my God, this is so horribly, horribly irresponsible of DC or anybody to run this ad. They absolutely unconditional money-back guarantee that you will have hands that can crush a fucking gun. Are you kidding me? I'm not making this shit up. They're showing a picture of a human hand like on the old George Reeves Superman show, you know, where he'd snatch the bad guy's gun away and then just crush it because it was made of, like, Play-Doh. And, and they're showing this, and I'm thinking, all right, I don't care who you are. Can a human being really crush a gun? I don't think so. So how many kids died trying to disarm when the gun went off back in the 70s? Yeah. Or, or, yeah, that too. They crush it and all the bullets explode in their hands and blow their fingers off. How many times did they, like, try to crush it, go, ow, dropped it, and their best friend had their fucking brain manner wallpapered <laughs> onto the door behind them? Oh, my God. Oh, that's horrible, but very funny. Oh, what's man. wrong with me tonight? We're not right at all, and we're just inviting horrible letters. Um, what the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> oh, man. Kids with guns is a terrible thing. But it's it... so funny. But we have Help Your Hero, Give It a Home. I guess this is a bunch of Mego stuff. I don't like to think about Superman and Batman and Wonder Girl being homeless, though. That just makes me really sad. I don't like the fact that Superman has his arm around Wonder Girl as if he's trying to convince her of something. Oh, you know, you're right, too. He does. He's sort of like, hey, come up over to my uh, Wayne Manor Foundation here. I wanted this thing so bad. It looks awesome. It was it was basically the Barbie dream home for your Batman. It was awesome. It was really cool. Now, the, the last time I saw something like this, because I, you had the Batcave, mm-hmm. 
uh, and they had the Wayne Foundation about, God, it, it must be almost 10 years ago now. Uh, for the Batman animated series action figures, they put out a Batcave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had one of that those. Mm-hmm. was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't get crap like this anymore. No. No, you're right, because that Batcave was about the last really cool playset yeah. that I've seen. And that and that's including, like, everything playsets, because even, yeah. like, the Star Wars playsets. Yeah, you get shitloads of action figures and yeah. vehicles. You don't get a Dagobah or a Hoth. Yeah. Now, now, granted, a lot of those were reprinted, repainted versions of each other with different set dresses. Right. But still, that's not the point. I love the fact, though, that this is called the Wayne Foundation. Yeah. Because it is really tying into the fact that at this point in the comics, Bruce Wayne lived in Gotham City yes. at, at the penthouse apartment of the Wayne Foundation. Yes. That's freaking awesome because a kid could play with this, then go read the comics, yep. and there's the same thing. Exactly. This must have been rare because even back in the day, you know, I, I had enough friends and knew enough people and like we'd go visit like my parents' friends who had kids and you would see the other Mego stuff that was out there. And I never, ever saw this anywhere other than like on TV or I think I may have seen it like on the, bo- you know, in the box in stores, but I never actually saw anybody that, you know, knew anybody that had one. So I wonder how well they sold and. And all that sort of thing. Now here's... Uh, Holy shit, this thing looks awesome. Oh, are you looking at it online? I'm, I'm at MigoMuseum.com. Uh, wow. Oh, wow, I would have loved to have had this. Sorry, folks, this is not a TV show. I apologize. Now, I don't care how weird or whatever and all. You guys can make all the jokes you want to, but I have to admit, I owned this Wonder Woman. The... Uh, how, does it say how tall she is? It doesn't 12 say twelve inches tall. Okay, yeah, she was much bigger than the standard Mego figures, and she was really more of a tie-in to the TV show. Yeah, and she she came with the uh, the army uniform. You could make her into Diana Prince. I loved that figure. It was really really cool. The only bad thing about it though was that you know she was totally mismatched with like every other action figure that you owned. So there was only you know it's like limited play with that figure. But it was really it was really cool for the time. It uh it was more like a standard Barbie. But it was it was like a nice cross between a Barbie and like an action figure because she could do action figure type things and her magic lasso was like this golden it was it was almost like a rubber band with like a golden uh sparkle type shit glued to it or something. But it was really cool. And then Just... the, I'm sorry. Just to tell you, I hate to interrupt you, but uh-huh. the box art for the Mego mm-hmm. uh, Wayne Foundation was done by Neil Adams. Oh my God! I wonder what, what one of those would go for. I just looked on eBay; it's not there. I imagine they're probably pretty rare. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm thinking too. That that that's probably one of those. That's like finding a intact, completely in the box Death Star. Right. Uh, yeah, that's probably really fucking hard to find. Well, I did an eBay search earlier today trying to find this Batmobile with exploding bridge. I had one of these as a kid, and until I saw this ad, I had totally forgotten about that (laughs) toy. And it was really cool. It was a really nice Batmobile, and it held those little, like, pocket Mego-sized Batman figures. It was a Batman, and I'm pretty sure there was a Robin 
And there was one bad guy. I can't remember who the bad guy was. Maybe maybe the Joker, but I can't remember. And you would uh, you'd put the bridge together, and the and the road was sectional. And you put the little plunger thing underneath it, and all that was was it was a popper. It just it just pushed a little bit of air through that hose and made that thing go up like a popper. And when it would go up, it would bust the bridge all apart. So you could actually blow the bridge up, like either before the Batmobile got to it or. You know, as it was sitting on it or something, it was it was fun for like fifteen minutes. It was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I you see, okay. As much as I am completely and utterly convinced, can't convince me of anything otherwise. The superpowers line is the greatest line of DC action figures ever, and that the superpowers Batmobile is the greatest Batmobile on planet Earth. And I'll fucking knife fight you in an alleyway. Now, I'll I'll go with you on the on the Batmobile thing. You're right about that. But I gotta defend my Migos, buddy. I loved the the Migos, and they had it all over anything else because of the molds and the clothes. The clothes were the coolest thing with those. Well, actually, what I was about to say was, when I was like three and four years old, I had Migos. Mm-hmm. So I love Migos. I still need to get a Superman Mego doll just to have it, just to have it around the house. Mm-hmm. Well, sitting somewhere. I don't want it like in the bathroom staring at me while I'm taking a dump. Because... Yeah, Migos and water don't go together too well. I learned this many times as a child. Unfortunately, I had to keep relearning it because evidently I was a pretty stupid child, I guess. But uh, but I will say this for the Migos. Um, for a kid of this time period, you really could have great crossovers of Star Trek, DC, and Marvel, and all these other properties, and Planet of the Apes even, <laughs> you know, all playing together. See, you know, when I was really into action figures and guys, as you and I both call them, which right. uses the fuck out of me, you know, you had your G.I. Joe, you had your superpowers, you had your Star Wars. They were all different sizes. Right, yes. And, and now... They've gone back to everything being the same size. Right. Which I think is awesome because you can play with your, your Mattel DC heroes, the three and, uh, three and three quarters. And you can throw the Marvel and the Star Wars in. I mean, the Transformers are still giant, but fuck, they're supposed to be like bigger than every other figure. But you could not have He-Man and Superman fight when I was a kid. Because the superpowers figure, which is looking at me right now, oh, I got to turn his head. He's staring at me. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Do you think late at night when nobody's around and it's dark and your toys come to life, do you think that they're racist? Do you think like the Marvel guys are like, oh, whoop your DC ass, you know, that sort of thing? Or do you think they all get along like we like we made them get along when we played as kids? I think there's at least one bigot in the group. Okay. I'd like to think so. Though I will have to say this to Mattel. Mattel Mattel has created a two-pack of action figures specifically for me. Because they have done, and they're releasing it soon, a Superman He-Man two-pack. With the cover art of that DC Comics Presents. as the Oh, no way. Really? Uh Uh-huh. I'm so excited. I haven't bought an action figure in years. You better fucking believe I'm getting that one. <laughs> I was so into He-Man as a kid. <laughs> I really was. 
I was in uh, girls, but that's a whole different thing. I'm not going to say anything to that. <laughs> um, ass. You set yourself up. I know, I know. You're getting me back for earlier when I... When I when I pushed you under the bus, so you're just <laughs> you're just doing the same thing. Um, in the letter section, we don't normally talk about the letters, but there is a letters from legendary comic book fan and especially legendary All Star Comics fan Jerry Bales mm-hmm. talking about the origin that they reprinted. So uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> he goes the often he's talking about DC Special Number Twenty Nine. The authenticity of the characters, places, and events real and fictional, fictional, was what made it so enjoyable. The layouts and art, from inset panels to the Superman splash entry, were a total turn-on. The reaction of Hawkman and the others to the first encounter with Dr. Fate and the Spectre was just perfect, and the final heroic gesture of the Atom put it all together. Right on, as we say in the 70s. Two small nitpicking objections. The Sandman put his enemies to sleep with a gas gun, not sand which was his which was was only his trademark and hawkman had no emblem on the nth metal belt buckle but i forgot i even mentioned them <laughs> so <laughs> oh but forget i even mentioned them that's funny that he was right in to wow. kind of give him a little eh. so <laughs> that was awesome mm-hmm. um we do have a daily planet page yeah both this week and next week. I'm really excited about that. And this one has Double Dynamite in GL number 100, which was the first appearance of the second Airwave. Mm-hmm. Now, he's like I like. Now he's like Hal Jordan's cousin, right? Yes, he yeah. is Hal Jordan's cousin who shares his name. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're both named Hal, I believe. Oh, all right. Yeah, I th- yeah now that you say that, I think you're right. Yeah. Um. But I actually like this character. He had a backup in action. In action, yeah. For a while where he would hang out with Aquaman and Adam and everybody else who had a backup feature in action. And he was learning how to be a hero. And I always kind of dug that. I really got to get this GL number 100 to get his first appearance. But it's interesting that he's standing next to Black Canary because both of these characters have such fucked up Earth 1, Earth 2 crossover things in it. How in the hell is he Hal Jordan's cousin when his father came over from Earth 2 to Earth 1? Ugh, you're making that, my head hurt. I don't know. <laughs> anyways, sorry. Uh, there is two Ask the Answer, oh, four Ask the Answer Man questions. Would you like to tackle those? Sure, why not? We got the first question here is, when will Power Girl's origin be revealed by Peter Rothfuss? He says, our blonde bombshell uh, will be having her own three-issue run in Showcase, beginning with number 97, and her origin will be revealed therein. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to covering that, because, you know, I don't know that I've ever read all three of those issues. I have. It's pretty good. The next one is, uh, can I get a subscription to Showcase and Five Star Superhero Spectacular? And the answer is yes and no, respectively. You'll find Showcase on our subscription form now, but Five Star, which was a one-shot, is not. Next question is, will the Shazam Squadron ever appear again? I have no idea what the Shazam Squadron is, I have to admit. And the answer is, anything is possible in the wonderful world of comics. It seems to me that he gave that answer out quite often. And lastly, are you going to bring back the trivia quiz? And he says, no! With an exclamation point. 
The Shazam Squadron of Justice was gathered together by the god Mercury to save the Elder Gods and the wizard Shazam from an assault by King Cull of the Beastmen. Mercury also gathered heroes from the Justice League of Earth-1, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, Green Arrow, Hawkman, and Hawkgirl, and the Justice Society of Earth-2, Batman, Robin... Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, and Johnny Thunder. This must have been the this, crossover. Yeah, yeah, okay, with like Bullet Man and Spy Swatter and all those guys. Yeah, okay, I know who you're talking about. Okay, now I know what he's talking Yeah, that 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 threw me too because a Shazam Squadron sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> Somebody's going to write in going, it's Spy Smasher, not Spy Swatter. Well, that's a reference to J-Men Forever, and if you haven't seen that movie, stop listening to me right now and go watch it because you will laugh your ass off what movie j men forever have you ever seen it no oh my god dude it is fucking hysterical absolutely hysterical it's it's a movie made by fire sign theater that takes pieces of all these old cliffhanger serials from back in the day and strings pieces of them together and redubs them into one absolutely freaking hysterical movie and it has Spy Smasher in it, and they call him Spy Swatter. Yeah. And then it has Captain Marvel, and they call him the Caped Madman, and it's absolutely friggin' hysterical. I remember you guys talking about this on Two True Freaks. Yep. I remember now. Yeah, the, the part where Captain Marvel throws the cinder block at the bad or the uh, engine block, rather, at the bad guys is the funniest thing you'll ever see. All righty. Um... There, there's a superhero time machine ad on the very back, which has a Wayne boring Superman picture mixed in with a Kurt Swan yeah. artwork. And Spider-Man's in there, which is odd because the other ones are Batman, Wonder Woman, and the Joker. So, but, you know, whatever. But, <laughs> but, on the, on the inside cover is the hostess ad. Oh, shit. I went and put my issue away. I totally forgot about the hostess ad. Let's get this baby back out. This is a hostess ad that features the Penguin and not Batman or Robin. So that's really freaking odd. But then again, there was that Joker one where they, you know, he was like holding a hostage and they... But he had a book at the time, didn't he? The Joker yeah, he made did. a little bit of yeah. sense. Yeah. So the Penguin, who is one of the few comic book characters, sadly, that I could cosplay as. <laughs> Not really proud of that either. Uh, it's like him and the Mole Man. I am fucked. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and do the Penguin in this. You okay. ready? Okay. <laughs> the Penguin in the Cuckoo Cuckoos. Win! Fly, you cuckoos! Fly! With my umbrella directing you to rob, pillage, peck, and annoy, we'll soon have them all cuckoo, and then I'll take over the whole city. Now keep in mind, folks, there are these flying cuckoo clocks terrorizing cop, fat cops, guys in green suits, and cats. Yeah, what is up with all the cats in this? I, I am confused as yeah. hell. Alright, so one of the cuckoo clocks... Alright, now, all right, here's a visual for you. It's a cuckoo clock with a cuckoo popping out of it with real wings and real legs. It's the stuff of, like, weird, freaky uh, Salvador Dali dreams or something. It's really disturbing. And it talks. And it flies down and it says, Well, Penguin, (laughs) Penguin, well, Penguin, I guess we'll feather our nests after this. 
Where? We? What we? The penguin is never a we. It is I who am the mastermind, not you, Birdbrain. Ergo, it is I who where, shall profit most handsomely from this caper. If you think you're on the same plane as me, where? you must be a cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> and then we've got a cop that says, There's got to be a way to stop these vultures. I know. Hey, you birds, look. Delicious hostess fruit pies. No, where? No, not real fruit filling, tender like crusts. Luscious apple and cherry. My clocks are not that cuckoo that they'd pass up delicious fruit pies. And the other cop says, That's right. They'd even desert you, penguin, for law, order, apple, and cherry. <laughs> and then at the bottom, Julia Schwartz is hanging out. Julia Schwartz is hanging out with a couple people. <laughs> and they say, We're, We're crazy, crazy about, about hostess fruit pies. pies. Live long, long live. Apple. <laughs> uh, long live cherry. <laughs> Oh my god! And the cops are hauling off the penguin at the end, while the cuckoo clocks are all hung back on the walls. And like, what is it? There's just like twenty freaking cats in this picture. I don't, I don't get it with the cats. And they're hauling him off, saying, "Okay, penguin, let's see you waddle off to jail." And you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess fruit pies. Wow. Oh, my God. All of these people involved in the creation of these were on drugs. I'm convinced of it now. Indeed. <laughs> well, right. let's, let's take a look at Mike's amazing world of DC Comics. We're hopping into the Rip Hunter's time machine and going to see what the books that were on sale in October and November of 1977, around the time this book was on the stands. And hot shit right away, I see like 15 awesome things. Oh, yeah. Uh, doorway into to Nightmare number one. Is that Madame Xanadu? Yes, it is, and that is a Mike Kaluta cover, and it is beautiful. Uh, is that a good issue of Jonah Hex? Um... I think that's part of his origin story. So yeah, the the th I think it was a three part um, origin story. And yeah, that that I'm pretty sure this is the one that tells how Jonah got that horrible scar on his face. You know, where the, the little piece of skin, you know, yeah. over overlaps on his mouth and connects, you know, from his upper lip to his bottom lip and all that. It, it's all explained in there, and it's a really good story. Uh, let's see, what else do we got? Oh, all-new Collector's Edition C-54 with Superman versus Wonder Woman. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to covering that. We'll be getting so to am that I. in the future. So am I. I was looking through that CBR you sent me, and it looks awesome. I want this DC Superstars number 18. I was looking for this on eBay the other day. It's uh, Dead Man and the Phantom Stranger. I'm just curious about that, because I, I like both of those characters, and... Uh, and I wonder how, how good or bad that that issue could be. Because I think we both agree that the Phantom Stranger is a really cool character, but he's kind of hit and miss in his own story. Yeah. But uh, I love Dead Man, and uh, I wonder if that could be any good or not. Um, what Welcome else back, Cotter went to issue number <laughs> nine. Are you, are you shitting me? That was that was a huge show. I'm surprised it even got its own comic, let alone going to number nine. But that was a big deal back in its day. Could never stand the show myself, but I was never big on you know everything that most people consider like classic TV. Because my wife loves to watch like like the, what the hell is that Nick at Night or whatever or not Nick at Night but Nick Classic TV or whatever the hell the name of that show is with all those 
you know, like the Brady Bunch, everything, everything that comes on there, I'm like, I hated that show. And she's like, Jesus, what did you watch? I'm like, uh, Star Trek. <laughs> and then she rolls her eyes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. It's like you've been in my house. That's exactly what happens. But no, it's just my wife does the same thing to me sometimes. So I love that Secret Society of Supervillains cover with, yes. uh, with, uh, Blockbuster, Star Sapphire, Professor Zoom. And who the hell is that other guy? I feel <laughs> stupid for not knowing who that is. Is that the wizard in his new threads? I'm not sure. I'm not the sure who that guy plan. is. Dirty deeds. Dirty <laughs> I like that, that is the that. wizard. Yeah. Is it? Okay. I like the Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes cover just because it's a really kicking. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a Mike. Yeah, Mike Grell. I can see his signature there. I love that Rich Buckler cover of Karate Kid number 12. That's awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. Uh, Superman Family, where the two Superman merge into a giant Superman. Yeah, I want to encourage our listeners. I wish I could tell you what episode it is, but if you go back through the back episodes of Two True Freaks, at some point I did a special like solo episode where I covered that whole issue and it, it was just a hell of a lot of fun. Cause it's so wacky, but in that story, that's actually related in a funny way to what we're covering here in that story, Superman of earth one and Superman of earth two, not only team up, they actually merge together into one giant Superman and fight this absolutely ridiculous, uh, otherworldly menace and they kill him. I'm not kidding. They they blow him up real good in that story. Um, what else we got here? Green Lantern number 100, which we just talked about. Uh, Wonder Woman number 239, which this is when Wonder Woman was set in Earth 2. And if everything works out right, we will be at least discussing these issues. Mm-hmm. Probably not the, in, as in-depth as we cover the All-Star issues, but I'm kind of looking forward to reading that stuff. Yeah, I like this the cover on this where it's... Flash and, uh, you know, the Golden Age Flash and Wonder Woman are standing, I don't know, like like on a rail, you know, at a rail or on the prow of a boat or something. And the Statue of Liberty is reaching down to snatch up Wonder Woman. It's pretty cool. It's a great perspective shot, though. The Statue of Liberty yes. actually looks really creepy and menacing. Uh, you want to move to the next month? Sure. All righty. Uh, really cool Scarecrow cover on Batman number 296. Oh, yeah. Who is that? That would be Al Milgram. Oh, wow. Really? Alan Milgram. Yeah, he's not the the kind of guy I go, wow, great cover out of Mal. Poor Al Milgram. I don't mean to badmouth him. He's just not not normally a real dynamic artist to me. He's just more one of those, like, serviceable artists. You know what I mean? Got a really badass Solomon Grundy cover on Superman number 320. Garcia Um, Lopez. Yeah, I love that. I was just looking in my own collection at that Mr. Miracle number 22 the other day. Mm-hmm. So that that's a pretty cool cover. Marshall Rogers. Now, I uh, love the Jim Apero. I'll get you, you sons of bitches cover on uh, Aquaman number 60. Yeah, that's he is great. pissed. I uh, We were watching Brave and the Bold, and it was the Aquaman episode where he went on vacation with his family. Uh, which was awesome on several fronts, mainly because his son was wearing his blue costume from that miniseries. Oh, cool. Oh, I haven't uh, seen that. I'll have to watch that now. But it made me sad because, you know, it's like Mira, him, and, and Arthur Jr., and you're like, he's dead in the comics. Mm-hmm. 
He did die in the episode, though that... Oh, that's good. I'm glad he lived in some incarnation then. (laughs) Now, this issue of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, if I'm not mistaken, I'm almost positive this is the issue where Mon-El fights a Kund fleet all by himself. One of the coolest and best-drawn Mon-El solo stories ever. It was totally awesome. I loved it back in the day. And this is when, as a kid, I was just discovering um, the Legion of Superheroes. That was one of the first issues I got. And I so bad wanted them to make uh, a Mon-El, like a, like a Mego or something of Mon-El. I'm I, sure I somebody already has that. by this point. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's just—I I always thought that character was really cool, but that's a badass story because he just goes out single-handedly and destroys that whole fleet. It's really cool. Yeah, too bad he's not cool in Superman these days, but uh, that's a uh, rant for another day. <laughs> um, I like on this cover too how action, adventure, and young romance are all in the logos of those yes. of those titles. That's—I like it when when books do that. Uh, we got showcase number ninety-seven, which is the Power Girl thing. I love this world's finest cover to two forty-nine. Yeah, I was just looking at that man. The Phantom Stranger was getting around at this time because he's uh, he's on that cover too. And we got a vampired out Superman. He's not sparkling, just to let everyone know. Um, let's see what else do we got? We I want to a- say there's something important about that issue of Super Friends, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it is. I, there's like an important it was like edited by Larry Hama. Huh. That's weird. Oh, the GI Joes probably show up. That's what it is. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> uh, Detective Comics 475, which is part of still, I believe. Yep, the Marshall Rogers run. That's the Laughing Fish issue. Yes, classic. Mm-hmm. Classic. Love that issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonder Woman number 240. That's another good cover. Wow. Yeah, I like that. I hope that... In- Who did the interior art? Am I going to be disappointed? Uh, yeah, you- yes, you are. Oh, Jesus. You got Jose Luis Garcia Lopez... Uh, On the interior? The- uh, no, doing the cover. And oh, then yeah. Jose Delbo. Oh, that's not who I thought it was, though, because the issues I looked at, because I thought the same thing. I was like, I wonder who's the artist on these issues that we're going to end up covering. And every one of them I looked in, it was like Don Heck or somebody. It's like, again, I'm talking smack. Somebody's going to be like, I love Don Heck. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, that's going to be me. I like Don Heck on DC work. So there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it, I think, for the for the really cool covers. Well, this has been a monster show, but I've had an absolute blast. Oh, shit. It has been a awesome. lot of fun. And I, I hope that uh, Steve Rogers still still loves us and continues to write in, even though we gave him a lot of shit about his letter. And uh, is this wrap us up? Is that this, wraps uh, us up, unless you want to do you want to tell him where this book has been reprinted? I do. I do. This is reprinted in Justice Society Trade Paperback Volume 2 from 2006. Get your ass out there and get your copy. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com 
You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.ViewsFromTheLongBox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Sorry about that. I'm just all full of burps. To... Oh, excellent. There we go. I was holding that one in, but if you were going to admit to one, I would let it go. Because I've been drinking Dr. Pepper. I've been so. eating uh, Jelly Bellies like crazy, and I think I got one in my throat. Hang on a second. Let me take a drink here. Is it the popcorn flavored? No, unfortunately. I ate all those yesterday. No, these are sours. <clears throat> okay. Because I need the sugar. I really – I was taking a nap just shortly before we started the show. So I was trying to like go from like dead asleep to like all wired up in a very short amount of time. This episode of Tales brought to you by Crystal Meth. Crystal Meth, <laughs> the podcaster's friend. <laughs>